The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Hey, this is Scott Norton, and you're listening to Keeping It Strong Style. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frost. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. And let them have it Cause this is just an intro Keeping the strong style Six stars from the get go Boy Yeah from Tampa Bay To the Tokyo Dome This is Keeping it strong style With your host Jeremy Donovan And the young boy Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Welcome To Keeping it strong style The ace of podcasts On the Social Suplex Podcast Network Jeremy Donovan here With the young boy Josh Smith on today's show, we'll review nights 8 through 11 of the New Japan Cup and cover all its news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. Please support our show by subscribing and following the Social Suplex Podcast Network or keeping a strong style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating and review. You can also get all the podcasts over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Pro Wrestling Tea store, prowrestlingtees.com. Slash social suplex That's where you can get your official Keeping it strong style t-shirt If you enjoy this podcast Please consider making a one time or Monthly donation by visiting Socialsuplex.com slash donate And clicking on the donate button under the Keeping it strong style logo This episode is brought to you By the NJPW EXT the only Browser extension for NJPWworld.com Frequently updated and with features like dark mode, improved translations and layouts, custom and shared playlists, synchronized viewing parties, and much, much more. It takes NJPW World to the next level. You can visit njpwext.us today for details. Young boy, I know you are a, a big foodie and you, you like finding all you know the great restaurant spots or different types of food. So, what is your favorite uh, burger joint in Tampa? Oh, that's a great question. Before I answer that, let me do this. Pop one open for the working man. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> um, best burger joint in Tampa. I don't know that I have a favorite burger joint in Tampa. Like, are you about to, uh, you know, enlighten me? In some way to something. I was asking, and I was going to ask, how do you, how do you feel about Five Guys? Oh, <laughs> I see. What you're <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah. I don't. I don't know that I necessarily have a a, a favorite burger joint in Tampa. I used to. I used to have a place that I. Okay, before before we get to to the joke, <laughs> there was a place. Uh, in Seminole Heights, uh, the refinery, and mm. it's closed now. And it was definitely like, you know, 2010s, you know, indie sleaze sort of like place. You know, they, they serve all your drinks in mason jars. All the like dishware doesn't match. It's all they bought it at like Salvation Army. They have like 
chalkboards that you can write on in the bathroom wall, like the entire wall of the bathroom, you know, it's like a, a, a reclaimed house. Like it, it just, you know what I'm talking about? It's one of those places. Yeah. Yeah. All the, all the men are wearing bow ties and fucking <laughs> uh, suspenders and like, you know, the, the, the newsboys hats or whatever, yeah. you know, yeah. that sort of thing. But they had a rotating menu. Every week, the entire menu was completely changed depending on what they were able to get from their partners at the like local markets and shit, whatever. But one thing was a staple, the burger. They had a, the same. Now, the thing is, the burger changed every week, but the patty was the same. They got it locally sourced from like, you know, th- these cows that like were free range in the Rome, blah, 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 whatever. But they would change what was on the burger every week. So, like, you still get the, the same delicious patty, just a different experience. So, yeah, that, but they closed. So, like, I haven't found a burger that was comparable to that one just yet. Mm, okay. Interesting. Yeah. In fact, like, now that we're talking about it, like, did you see that movie, The Menu? I did see that, actually. Yeah. You saw it? I oh, did. Oh, my yeah. God. I can't believe there's a movie we both saw. <laughs> Bro, at the end of that movie, like me and my girlfriend, we uh, were driving home and we're like, we should get a burger. <laughs> so I got a cheese champ from Checkers. Um, for those of you that are listening in other parts of the country, you might know that uh, you know restaurant at, by the name Rallies. Right. Yeah. Did you know that shit? Yeah, I know there's Rallies. Yeah, it's kind rallies of the same. Checkers. Same. Yeah. Same gimmick, different branding. I think it's like Hardee's and Carl's Jr. are the same. Yeah. Yeah, but um, yeah, no, I don't have a current favorite uh, uh, burger place. Is there a, a burger place that you can recommend to me? Uh, you know, I'm kind of in the same boat. I don't feel like Tampa has a really ton of good burger places. There was a place called, it's kind of similar situation, there was a place called Square One Burger that was in South Tampa off of Henderson. They had like this buffalo burger that had these huge, massive onion rings on it that I would get all the time, mm. but they're mm. no longer open either. And that was one of my favorite places. You know, it's got a good burger, Aussie Grill. You know what? Yes, yeah, Aussie Grill does have a good burger. I got a good burger. That bacon bomb burger with the chutney. <laughs> uh, we we do have a Shake Shack now here in Tampa. Really? Where is that? It's off of uh, Dale Mabry, kind of not too far away by, from the stadium. I'm about to hit that up. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't count those types of places. Like, the chains, like, when you're asking me about, like, a good local Tampa burger, I'm not going to – because, I mean, I mean, we got, like, Burger Five, Burger Monger, Burger Monster. There's, like, a bunch of places like that that, that we can go to. But you were mentioning to me uh, an old familiar favorite. What what burger place was that that you were mentioning? Five Guys. Oh, I was confused for a second. I thought you said just five guys. <laughs> you meant five guys, like five, five guys. guys burgers. Yeah. Oh, okay. What do you think I was talking about? Some Jags. <laughs> <laughs> Some dudes. Oh, man. <laughs> from, from, from the Shinihan. That's what, what I thought you were talking about. I was confused for a second there. Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, we now have just five guys. Yeah. So yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. That yeah, that was my uh, poor attempt of yeah making burger humor off of the uh, the new stable oh, name. Every, everybody's gonna be making this joke. I mean, they're already like making this joke on commentary, but like yeah, we'll we'll talk about it. But for those of you that are uninitiated, spoiler alert: there's no longer just four guys. 
there's just five guys. Apparently, they need to change the name. Yeah, that's. I wanted them to have five members and keep the name just four guys. <laughs> is what I wanted. Yeah. Or um, continue to add members and continue Still to just stay be just, just four, four guys. <laughs> or it could be the club. The, the club is just four guys. F O R. Not F O U R. They could have done that. Oh, like just for men. Yeah. Hair club for men. Okay. Yeah. Or you add members, but quarterly, there's some sort of elimination process to where they're going to quell the un- undesirables and it will always revert back to four guys after a certain <laughs> period of time. They look around. One of these guys is not like the other. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, oh man. man, but yeah, we're kind of yeah, jumping the lead here. Uh, New Japan Cup, we'll talk about just five guys and everything that uh, has been going down in the tournament. So uh, let's pick up from where we left off last week, which was uh, night eight of the tournament. And I do know... Previously but- on Keeping It Strong Style. <laughs> uh, as most of the time you guys listen to this show, it's probably the finals are already been happening. We already know who won the tournament, but we still got action from previous week to review and next week we'll talk about i think we all know who's going to win this tournament at this point <laughs> oh we'll, we'll talk about that there's there's a bit debate about that really i don't feel like there's any debate but we'll see <laughs> okay so last time we left off uh night eight which was march 15th uh so on the undercard we had aaron hanare defeating yuta nakashima we had the United Empire, Jeff Cobb and Aussie Open defeating Bishamon and Rhea Oiwa. We had, at the time, just four guys defeating the House of Torture. The Bullet Club team of Chase Owens, El Fantasmo, and Kenta defeating the Girls of Destiny of Jado and Tamatanga and Ren Narita. The Chaos team of Leo Rush, Tomohiro Ishii, Toriano, and Yo teaming up with Tomioka Hanma. To defeat the LIJ team of Bushi, Hiromu, Sonata, Shingo, and Tetsuya Naito. And then we got to the tournament action here. So in the semi-main event, we had a second round match with the Rebel, David Finley, defeating the champion of the British, Great Ocon. You need the Rebel. (laughs) I need the Rebel. The Bullet Club needs the Rebel. Everybody the, needs the Rebel. The world needs the Rebel. Dude, Gato's <laughs> hilarious. Gato's incredible. And he's right. The world needs the Rebel. So uh, what do you think about this matchup? Oh, um, you know, this wasn't my favorite match of the tournament, to be honest with you. Um, so obviously we got David Finley here, uh, the quasi- leader of the Bullet Club, fresh off his heel turn, taking on Great O'Conn, who is the current reigning Red Pro Undisputed British Heavyweight Champion, got the buy into round two. So, um, or what, did O'Conn beat somebody to get to this no, stage? He, or no, he got a buy. Okay, so this was his first match in the tournament. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't like the slotting here because obviously David Finley is kind of being hot-shotted uh, to go through the tournament. And O'Conn is a guy that, like, I guess we've talked about this in weeks prior that like they did do a good job during this tournament, eating certain people up, pushing different story elements, narratives, and giving um, people who typically wouldn't have an opportunity to shine a good chance to do that here during this tournament. But I feel like Okan could have, or maybe should have been one of those guys. 
And coming in, this was his first match at the tournament. He's a guy that we, we, you know, that a lot of people are expecting big things from. And I don't know if this match really maximized those minutes to to create that sort of uh, element for him. I mean, it was 13 minutes. It was a good match. It wasn't a great match. I don't know that I felt like David Finley and him had the the best chemistry in the world. I mean, it was a good match. They they told a good story and they got a lot out of it, but. You know, it just, this is kind of a forgettable encounter, and it's one where the most noteworthy thing about it is the fact that David Finley got the clean victory over Great Okan, just like he did over Tomohiro Ishii and others, and he moves on in the tournament. But, um, you know, I, I wasn't overly impressed or enthused with the match itself. I, I was, it was just a, a, kind of fine. Yeah, I thought this was kind of a weird dynamics here. Also, you have two heels. I know United Empire can be face leaning at sometimes, but they're they're mainly heels. So you had two. Okan is like the most heel leaning individual in the group, though. Exactly. So you, essentially, you have two you know top heels here facing off. So there's very little crowd reaction uh, to this matchup because people obviously they weren't they didn't want to really want to cheer for either guy here. And yeah, you mentioned their chemistry was just off, and I didn't like the fact that I feel like Finley kind of steamrolled Ocon in this match. And I get that he's getting the hot push, he's in the finals now, but again, great Ocon is one of these young guys, back from excursion in the last couple of years, he's been kind of getting this very slow roll push, they haven't really gone full steam on him yet, they haven't strapped a rocket to him, and it's like, why would you beat him in this first round matchup against another heel like if you want to get somebody over why don't, why don't you put like umino versus okan there's history mm-hmm. there there's rev pro implications there and then umino could have beat great okan i felt there's a story there but here you have two heels and i don't feel like there's quite a story there dynamic and finley just kind of steamrolled this guy well, you know, uh, I mean, the argument against that is it, it's tough to be the booker and there's a job to do. And <laughs> sometimes <laughs> someone has to lay down and do the one, two, three. And, you know, if ultimately they're going to swing back around on the guy and present him opportunities later on. It's it's going to all work out and we shouldn't overblow it. And that's typically true. But where I do agree with you and why I feel like this is particularly egregious is the fact that. Okan returned from excursion. We're coming up on what almost three years now. Yeah. And it's feeling like, man, he's been through several of these tournaments already. This is probably a second or third at this point. I think it's his third. And it's like, when are we going to see the elevation of Okan? When are we going to see the, uh, you know, I don't know if it even has to be the rocket, you know, jetpack put to him, but like, when is he going to be given something meaningful as opposed to like, this was kind of disappointing. Like I'm, I understand that the story is David Finley and I'm not even saying that David Finley shouldn't have won here, but another tournament come another opportunity comes and another, you know, time where Ocon is just kind of an afterthought. And it's like, damn, I mean, I don't expect him to win a G1 necessarily at this point. So what next year maybe i don't know is he like is it too soon to start speculating is okan getting passed by you know and mm-hmm. i know that might seem a little uh hyperbolic but like i don't know like when is that they're going to be an avenue for this guy to even be a player you know what i mean right. i guess he 
I guess he's going to need to have a really good showing in this year's G1. Um, and maybe that's something we should keep our eyes peeled for, but right now he's just cannon fodder for Finley. Yeah, and I, I get it. There's probably people with the old, you know, wait and let it play out, wait and see what's going to happen. But like you're saying, year after year, it just seems like this guy's kind of stuck in neutral. He's been back for a while now. He's the Rev Pro British champion, and historically, whoever is a Rev Pro champion usually is booked pretty strong in New Japan. We've seen Zach with the belt, Will Ospreay with the belt. Guys who were usually... Well, that was before the sex pest, Jeremy. <laughs> oh, that's, okay. that's true. That was before speaking out. It's yeah. A different day. Before the, the Europe scene was canceled. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so, you know, he's a top champion for one of their partner promotions, and... He's kind of in that middle line push, and you know they were pushing him and Cobb as a team, but now you have Aussie Open in the United Empire, not really going to go full board with Jeff Cobb and Great O'Connor as a team now. Um, so. Last thing I'll say about it is, I think the one thing, if this was going to be the booking, the one thing that could have potentially, potentially, that's not even a word, potentially, potentially. <laughs> um, benefited both guys is going out there and having a great match, a uh, quote unquote banger, if you will, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, I, I do think that David Finley has had a good run in this tournament. And I think that the new look and the new presentation is helping a lot. And that first match he had with Ishii was outstanding. But since then, we haven't really seen a lot of super top notch work necessarily from him in these matches and i feel like if you're trying to get him over as a top guy to lead this top faction you know he should be having really great matches and i feel like with okan he's kind of in the same like boat where he needed to have a really if you're gonna lose this is something i joke with with rich about like um i i've i've had i i do have friends in the industry and i <laughs> I have friends in the industry. One of them was like asking me, he's like, you know, I'm always losing. Like, what should I do? And I was like, well, if you're going to lose, make sure you look fucking good losing. Like, mm -hmm. make sure that you pull a Shawn Michaels. Yeah, oversell, baby. <laughs> and if you're going to lose, you make them look like a million bucks, but you make sure that you look like a million bucks. And then that way, even if you lose, who's really losing here? You know what right. I mean? Bump like a maniac, sell, get that sympathy. <laughs> yeah, that was just kind of missing here. I don't know what the deal was. Um, you know, but, you know, 13 minutes and uh, David Finley moves on and, you know, Ocon is back to exactly where he was prior to this. So I, I guess it's good for David Finley because he has that name on his resume moving through the tournament. Yeah. So, yeah, Finley got the win with the trash panda over great Ocon to advance. So moving on to the main event this evening was a, another second round match. It was Shooter Shota Umino defeating the current NJPW World TV champion, Zach Sabre Jr., 26 minutes and 12 seconds. It doesn't happen all the time, Jeremy, but every now and again, there's just a match that happens in New <laughs> Japan that everybody loves that I just don't quite get. I'm not saying this wasn't bad. But I am saying I did not love this, and I think a lot of people were pretty high on it. I, mean, I didn't see any uh, buzz like, you know, match of the tournament or match of the year or even match of the month or anything like that. But, like, I've seen some pretty great scores for the match. 26 minutes and 12 seconds. Um, 
I don't know. I can't say that I was in love with this match. I think it was a little bit too um, cerebral for my tastes. Hmm. Like, uh, like too much, I don't know, break it down a little bit more, like too much by the book kind of thing or by the numbers? I don't know that I am, uh, okay, I, I know that as a show, we do several, we facilitate a lot of different things between you having your personal opinions, me having my personal opinions, us trying to be objective and fair and actually analyzing the, the show and the wrestling and the promotion and everything like that, and then still having our own tastes and our own opinions, right? Mm-hmm. So I know that week after week with the stuff that's been going on with Shota Amino, there's been a lot of backlash in the community, and we've tried to keep a fair and objective voice as it pertains to that. And I don't think that this is like a, you know, ring the bell, <laughs> throw up the red flag, you know, wee-oo, wee-oo. like it's not like that. But slowly but surely, I am gradually falling more and more into the camp of I'm not sure if I see Umino as a top guy. And I know that that kind of goes against some of the things I've said week after week, but another big match, another big opportunity. And even if the match was quote unquote good, I don't know that I bought it from him. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Even when he beat Saber, I, I think Saber was great. And I think Umino was, was serviceable, but I just didn't believe him. I didn't believe his fire. Uh, I thought the, the match was a little bit too slow, methodically uh, paced for me. And I thought that Umino, this is something I haven't seen a lot of other people say, but this is just, this is just me. I think he's got terrible facials when it comes to the grappling aspect of wrestling. Like, there was one point where he was in a double arm bar where his arms were both tied back. Mm-hmm. And the only way he could, and he was really in trouble. Like they were selling it like big time. Like this could be the moment he taps. And the only way he could get out is by reaching the rope behind him with his foot that he wasn't even sure if it was there or not. Cause he wasn't looking back. And like Zach is wrenching back on this move, like wrenching all the way. And you just have a stone-faced, wide-eyed Umino just, like, looking like he's not making any grimace. He's not making any vocalizations. He's just kind of there. He's very, like, Naito-esque and not in mm. a good way. <laughs> and, and, then, and then eventually he just got his foot on the rope. And I'm like, what, where, where the fuck was the struggle? Where was the pain? Where was the suffering? How am I supposed to believe in you and, and have sympathy for you as a character when you're in a very, I mean, we're not talking about a rest hold here. We're talking about both arms pulled straight back all the way. And this, and Zack Sabre Jr. thrusting his hips and pulling back with all of his might. And I'm like, this is a believable finish. You know, I don't know. Yeah. I, I didn't love the match. I just didn't. Well, yeah, I'm on the opposite end. I really enjoyed the match. Uh, I was notebook with it. And I don't know. I thought that Shota Umino looked really good exchanging holes with Zach, doing a lot of the, the grappling and ground wrestling and keeping up with Zach. We've, we've seen guys wrestle Zach where they, they can't really keep up with him and he'll kind of eat them up. And I don't feel like that happened here with Umino. I feel like he has the great basics and great you know fundamentals and technique where I don't know, to me, I think that kind of helped him here with a smack to Zach, and I thought he looked good going hole for hole. I thought towards the end of the match, he did show some fire kind of coming back um, from Zach's onslaught until he you know, was able to uh, hit the Death Rider. Also, that's the one thing I really don't like about his offense is the Death Rider. I don't know what it is, but it just it doesn't quite come off like the way Moxley does it. 
And I know he's right. not he's not doing the elevated version, but still, even when, when Moxley does the short short the short version, it looks really good and devastating. But for whatever reason, I'm, I'm not I don't buy that for Umino's finish. But I thought everything else here in the match looked good. Yeah, they did tell a really good story early on where Zach was trying to you know utilize his techers to outclass and outmatch the young lad, and he wasn't able to do that. It was almost as if Umino was pretty studied up. And I think the implication was like, oh, you're, you're working that British style. I've spent some time over in England myself. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Kyle Fletcher, I think, was on commentary, or Mark Davis, one of them, and they were talking about, yeah, you know, Shoto's uh, time in Rev Pro and how much he's changed, and so that added to the match also. Right, and that caused uh, probably from a kayfabe perspective, Zach to have to change his uh, tactics, and he definitely, uh, you know, focused more on his striking. I, I I feel like there was another story element, like there was a body part that was being targeted in the match. I don't quite remember. Um, yeah, I think so, I mean, um, Shota was working his, um, he was working Zach's leg, I think it was. Something like that, yeah. And so I, I keep in mind, again, I'm not saying this was a bad match. I think it was pretty good. Uh, people are probably a bit higher on it than I was. I just, it didn't connect with me. Um, now, from a storyline perspective, the one thing that is interesting, granted, Umino did beat Zach, and Zach is the current reigning uh, New Japan Stro- or New Japan World Television title holder, and um, this would, you know, in theory, uh, you know, basically line him up as being the number one contender for that title, since this is the first singles loss Zach has taken anywhere since he won the belt. The only thing is. Those television matches have a 15-minute time limit, and it took Shota Umino 26 minutes plus to beat the champion, and there was no indication prior to the 15-minute mark that he had the goods to actually get the champ, you know, put the champion away. So that's one thing to kind of look out for. Even though he got the W, it took him a while to do it. Right, and we know those TV matches are 15-minute time limits. If it goes to the time limit, the champion retains the title. So they could tell a story here. They have, they have the title match. 15 minutes goes by. It's a draw, and Sabre wins and keeps the belt. And Even though Umino didn't get pinned or submitted, he didn't win the title. So you can do a story of uh, Umino chasing Zack. Yeah, absolutely. But um, with that win, Shota Umino qualifies to move on in the tournament. He also you know, potentially puts himself in contention for the TV title. So a very, very big win for him. Uh, the one, one of the good things I will say about show to me, you know, all throughout this tour is say what you will about the, the Western audience, but night after night, um, Umino seems to be getting more and more over with these crowds, especially like with the light gimmicks and the little kids and he's yeah. going out in the crowd, handing them off to, you know, uh, some Bret Hartism, if you will. <laughs> Yeah, and all his entrance too. Like he comes out at a different part of the arena. They have the camera kind of I love that. following him to see where he's at, and then you hear that pop when he walks through because he's walking through the crowd, and the crowds are kind of like screaming. He walks through, and that's a pretty cool entrance. Yeah, man. I mean, you know, you think about like say for instance Bill Goldberg back in the you know Nitro era, and the the camera starts in the backstage era era with or area with him. That was always really cool. I like when they start these entrances with him behind the curtain. Before he pops out, and you're like, "Where is he? I don't know. Where is yeah. he coming from? It's pretty cool." And uh, one, so, oh, another thing with this ahead. matchup. Uh, before we move on, uh, there was also a little story there of him and Red Shoes. I know they've been kind of sm- mm. very kind of 
slightly telling that story that obviously the Red Shoes is his dad. And uh, here, there was a point to the match where like Umino was like pushing Red Shoes off of him because Red Shoes was trying to like, hold him back or like stop him from doing something. So kind of pushing Red Shoes off, kind of you know being a little defiant to his father. So I'm wondering, you know, we've been seeing that kind of that story slowly play out between those two. So I'm wondering if we're gonna see more of that. Yeah, mad disrespectful. <laughs> So with that, we move on to New Japan Cup Night 9. This was March 17th. I believe this was a Cork and Hall show, right? Yes. And uh, the opening contest, House of Torture, the team of Show and Ujiro, they defeated the TMDK team of Kosei Fujita and Zack Sabre Jr. Second match of the night, United Empire team of Hanare, Great Okan, Jeff Cobb, and Kyle Fletcher defeated Great Bash Hill, along with Oscar Luebe and uh, Ryazuki Taguchi. This was actually pretty funny, though, because... We got the uh, emergence of the great Taguchi as he came out basically cosplaying as the great Okan and uh, wrestled in, I guess, like Sabu pants. Yeah, I saw. Yeah, that was pretty funny. <laughs> Which was pretty funny. Um, yeah, he came out. He was doing the gimmick. He had the question mark on his face. He's, yeah, he doing, doing the claw. Yeah. And <laughs> pretty funny. Um, after that, the chaos team of Goto, Yano, and Yoshihashi defeated Tenkoji along with Tamatonga. Uh, the Chaos team of Leo Rush, Tomohiro Ishii, and Yo defeated the LIJ team of Bushi, Hiromu, and Shingo Takagi. And then um, the last match on the undercard, the team of Strong Style, teaming up with Shota Umino, defeated the Bullet Club team of Chase Owens, David Finley, El Fantasmo, and Kenta with Ghetto, 11 minutes and 44 seconds. And that brings us to uh, the semi-main event and the main event, which were both tournament matches. Yep, so uh, the first one, quarterfinal matchup, Mark Davis of the United Empire defeats Evil from the House of Torture, 15 minutes and 30 seconds. Yeah, this was very interesting. I mean, obviously last week when we were on the air, we were still kind of contemplating uh, the trajectory of the tournament as it pertained to Will Ospreay. And we kind of alluded to the idea that there was some speculation as to whether or not he'd be able to continue in the tournament or not. But we hadn't, I mean, after we went off the air was when we finally found out that they were, like, doing a press conference and he wasn't going to be moving on in the tournament. Yeah. I sort of, like, I thought that they were just going to wait it out and, you know, maybe perhaps he would still be able to compete, you know? Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah, we found out uh, very quickly after that that was not the case whatsoever. And in his stead, he named the man who he defeated in the previous round uh, fellow stablemate Mark Davis of Aussie Open to take his place. And I guess the logic there being that, you know, he's the one that pushed Osprey to his limit. And even though he lost Osprey, he injured him and, you know, took the tournament away from him. So he kind of had to uh, step in and be the substitute, which was pretty shocking. Um, mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people were probably at, expecting at that point for him to beat evil for a, uh, a variety of reasons, uh, but probably number one, just being their placement on the hierarchy of the ladder of New Japan's, you know, uh, established roster. And yeah, this was pretty crazy that he beat Evil on this night. Yeah, I know we were speculating. You mentioned last week, kind of what the final four was going to be like, and we were kind of looking at that Evil Sonata history and story, and, and thinking that was a good chance that Evil could have beaten Will Osprey had Osprey been healthy and competed in this matchup here. So, yeah, with Mark Davis being the substitute, uh, I for sure thought, oh, well, Evil's definitely winning now. We're definitely going to get Evil versus Sonata, but that was not the case. We got a 
very entertaining matchup here where you had everybody from House of Torture out there. You had United Empire out here. And this is one of the rare situations where this House of Torture style really worked out. Well, first of all, you're in Corkin Hall, so you have a ton of, of smart, smart wrestling fans in there. They, they know the role here. And um, so, you know, Evil's getting heat here. And, again, they like they like the underdog, so they're, they're, they're rooting for Mark Davis. And then, you know, you have... Has a torch coming out, show and Dick Togo and Yujiro Takahashi. But then you have Will Ospreay arm in a sling, like calling for the troops, and the, the Empire rolls out, Cobb, Hanare, Kyle Fletcher, and they all come out and, and clean house. Each one of them like laid out one of the House of Torture guys, which uh, left it open for Mark Davis to hit the uh, the water slide onto evil and get the win. Yeah. This was, uh, in my opinion, I got to tell you, I love this match. I know that, <laughs> I don't know, I don't know what that says about me and that <laughs> I wasn't that into Shotomino and Zack Sabre, <laughs> but I fucking loved Evil and Mark Davis. And I would, I would watch this match a million times over uh, as opposed to rewatching Zack Sabre and uh, Shotomino. <laughs> but, you know, last week when we were discussing Evil and his utilization in the company and everything of that nature, um, I kind of pointed out how it's sort of smart that they use him as the fall guy in a certain sense. Like he beats people, uh, speaking of evil to, to get himself to a point to where you're like, fuck, if he wins one more match, I swear <laughs> to God. and then he loses and he usually loses to somebody that really could benefit and really use the victory. And in this case, that was Mark Davis. Now, I, I don't know if necessarily uh, – I don't know what was going to happen had Osprey been here. I don't know if potentially – I mean, I think that a lot of people are inclined to speculate that this was the booking all along, uh, mm -hmm. that they just didn't want to change course, and so they just kind of slotted Mark Davis into Will Osprey's spot. And I think that's very plausible and maybe even likely. But sometimes – bookers will be faced with uh, the consequences of external forces that are outside of their control, mm -hmm. like this situation. And then they, they have to kind of rethink things and look at the, the paper and be like, all right, well, I've got, let's say hypothetically, and I'm just giving you a, for instance, what if evil was going to nefariously cheat and beat Will Ospreay? I think that that could have possibly happened. Mm -hmm. And then, but now you've got Mark Davis in there, and it's like he already lost the last round. He's a tag team guy. He's someone that, you know, hasn't really been established as a singles player. He had a great match against Will Ospreay, but like, how is it going to help Evil if Evil beats him? You know what I mean? Right, yeah. So I think that there is enough elements there to speculate. It is possible they might have audibled here and thought the better story is getting the, the United Empire all together as a united force and to thwart the, you know, cheating ways of house of torture to create a quote unquote as the fds fans like to say <laughs> a, a moment, moment. <laughs> yeah this was a moment and you know it really was a moment like to see you know these guys cheating and the ref get bumped and then all the house of tortures in there but then the united empire all of them including will and the fucking sling yes yeah <laughs> all come to this man's aid it was really really cool and then like as they started eliminating more and more people, it got to the end. You're like, oh my god, Mark Davis is gonna fucking win this thing. Yeah, they, they and hit, like, I don't think anyone thought he had a chance. Yeah, they hit the Coriolis on Evil. I'm like, that's yeah. a, that's their tag finisher. 
Then Cobb pushes uh, the referee back in the ring. And then uh, Davis picks him up. It's that uh, spinning water slide maneuver. And yeah, got the win. Yeah, it was really fun and really cool. And I think another thing, too, I, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that I like what House of Torture does. But every now and again, because there is a certain status quo of what their matches are expected to be like and how they go and how they operate, when those get turned on their head, it's always very uh, cathartic for me as a, as a wrestling fan. And I... I buy into it. I understand that, like, you know, they, they have all these shitty matches so that once or twice a year you can have a great moment like this when it comes to House of Torture. I know that. And if I had, if it was up to me, they wouldn't be having all those House of Torture shitty matches. But when this happens, I'll take it because I love it when it happens. I think it's really fun. Uh, I did notice, though, that the Western audience, I know it's a, you know, just a small sample size, but like cage match did not like this match whatsoever. Like they were really low on it. Well, you know, it's just one of those things, you know, evil kind of has a reputation uh, based off of, you know, the turn and since, you know, 2020. And I think with cage match, they kind of dig their feet in on certain guys and certain styles of matches. And so, you know, the narrative right now is, you know, evil sucks and all his matches are bad no matter if he even has a good match like this, we're still going to rate it bad so people know that yeah. evil still sucks. And so that's kind of, I think, what's happening. And I think because it's tied to all the tropes that he usually uses, even if they were, you know, subverted, it doesn't really matter to most people because they just see the cheating. And I also think that there's a certain segment of the fan base that hasn't really bought in on... Aussie Open, specifically Mark Davis just yet. And I feel like a lot of those people are going to be eating crow very soon. As we can see throughout this tournament, this guy is really incredible, really talented. I mean, you and I have been saying this since we first saw Aussie Open going back, you know, to the Rev Pro days. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, I think a lot of people are going to be looking kind of foolish the way that they were sort of uh, counting this man out and and some of the, you know, uh, just different discourse about you know Aussie Open and their future and what's going to happen as it pertains to who's going to be the breakout star blah 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 like I think a lot of people have been counting out Mark Davis probably too much yeah you know people that they see Kyle Fletcher they see his looks looks kind of like Will Ospreay young good looking great body you know do the flips or like yeah this guy it's going to be the LaShawn Michaels. But then, you know, Mark Davis over there, man, the guy, he's a beast. And, you know, he's great also. His suicide dives, oh, my. That that first suicide dive that he hit on Evil to start the match was fucking awesome. Yeah, dude, he crushes people with that thing. And, yeah, he's awesome. I think he really showed out here. You know, all the time we talk about guys, when they get an opportunity, like, they need to, like, really grasp it and make the most of it. And we've seen guys that – get opportunities and kind of let it, you know, slip between their fingers. Well, yeah, that was not the case here for Mark Davis. Like he grabbed this opportunity and showed out and showed what he's all about. Yeah. I really would agree with that a lot. I think that he has kind of realized like if there was ever a moment to maximize what I can bring to the table, like now is the time. And that's exactly what him and Kyle during this tournament both have done. And even if hypothetically they never do break out and be singles guys, I'm not saying that's going to be the case, but let's just say they don't. I don't see how this doesn't elevate them as a tag team because, you know, the sum of their parts, you know, all added together, they're even greater. So, I mean, we kind of seen 
how they how good they can be apart. Uh, they're they're even better together. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. So then the uh, main event of this evening, the other quarterfinal matchup, was Sonata defeating Tetsuya Naito, twenty four minutes and forty one seconds. Yeah, um, I gotta say I liked this match. Um, I, I I've seen some mixed reviews on it. Some people were very low on it. Some people were very high on it. Um, I thought it was good, probably not great, but I thought it was bordering on that territory. You know, I thought it was very, very good match. Um, obviously there's the entire backstory. These two guys, you know, LIJ since 2016, when Sonata first kind of came back to the, you know, not came back, but you know, was first brought in as the masked Mr. X or whatever they called it at the time. And, um, kind of became like his uh, Pareja and all that sort of stuff. So these guys have a lot of history. We've seen them wrestle each other in similar situations during um, G1s in the past where, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're teammates, but there's, they're, there's tension there because Naito's a top star and Sonata kind of wants to inhabit that spot and sort of envious. And they always have heat with each other in the preview tag matches much kind of similar to like what was going on here in the lead up to this match. The difference though is everything that preceded this with Sonata being on this big losing streak and kind of losing himself and then um, kind of getting inspired uh, during the opening round of this tournament through his friendship with, with Chi to kind of bring out a more caring aspect of Sonata's uh, personality. And so that all kind of led up to this match here with Naito and Sonata and Naito's been on a hot run leading into the match as well. I mean, the big win over Kijimuto in the Tokyo Dome, uh, another cross-promotion, cross-promotional win over uh, Kano earlier in the month, and a few other big matches. So, I mean, Naito's sort of been on a hot streak, and it, it was really sort of a crossroads match here as to who was going to go over. And, um, to see Sonata not only beat Naito, but beat Naito clean, and then the fallout of that with him getting joined in the ring by just four guys. This was a really well-told story. I don't know, you know, for better or for worse, even if people are not high in the match, which I'm sure a lot of people were not the story elements, which is something that we kind of speculated last week. We talked about it. We were like, you know, looking at this match on paper, it's not something I'm like overly excited about. We've seen this match quite a few times, but what's going to happen in the fallout. And uh, a lot of our listeners were more, tuned in to this whole uh, switch with Sonata than I think maybe we were. I I think we both thought it was a possibility, but I wasn't really circling it on the calendar, being thinking like, all right, on March 17th, (laughs) Sonata is out of LIJ. So like the post, the entire post-match really did shock me and it got me quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, Before we get to the post-match, I got to talk about the match. Uh, So for me, I was not a huge fan of this match. Um, I mean, overall, it, uh, it, w- it was fine. My issues with the match was, first of all, you know, it's, it's your main event. You're in Cork and Hall. You have two of the top stars in the, one of the top factions of the promotion. And I just didn't feel like there was a ton of fire there uh, between these guys. Like, this was not like, some great blow-away match. And I'm like, it's Tetsuya Naito. It's Sonata. Like, with their history and their chemistry and with this being Cork and Hall in the main event in the tournament, they went 24 minutes. I was expecting uh, a little bit more heated match, a little bit, you know, I don't know, just a, a better match for, from these two guys. 
And then for Sonata, you know, they've been telling this whole story about, yeah, how Taichi fired him up and he's starting to change his style. And we saw this whole new style in Taichi match. But I feel like that has not carried over into any of the other tournament matchups. Like he went into he had that 30 minute match of Kenta. And it was, to me, I, I, I will disagree with you. Uh, uh, I we'll, we'll talk about it, but I thought his quarterfinal match w- was with Mark Davis, and we'll get to that. But I thought that was a, a really great. Yeah, I like that match. We'll talk about that. But before then, like the Kenta match was a 30 minute, I felt that was a regular LIJ Sonata match. Um, and then you get here with this Naito match, I felt this was, uh, was an, again, another LIJ Sonata match. Like he was doing a lot of the same stuff that he, he was not doing. Some stuff he was doing that Tai Chi match where he was firing up, throwing all those strikes and, you know, doing more suplex and stuff like that. So to me, I'm like, you're telling this whole story about how Tai Chi's awakened him and it has changed his game. But in the Kenta match and the Naito match, we really didn't see that. Um, so I don't know. To, to me, there could have been a lot more done here with the matchup and everything they've been trying to tell. But at the end well, of the day, uh, okay. oh, go ahead. at the end of the day, they were able to, you know, they got the story over. He won and they were able to move on with the next kind of stage of what they're doing with him. Well, a couple things that I didn't, I'll agree with you as far as the match is concerned. I mean, this isn't what I'm going to go to bat for and be like, you're wrong. (laughs) (laughs) It it wasn't that great. Like, but I, I do think it suffered from some of the same problems that we've seen from both of these guys. When for the last three years, when it's Tetsuya Naito, if he's not wrestling, you know, an Osprey or an Okada, the match is probably overly long. It's grounded to an unnecessary point and then like the last six to seven minutes are really great like mm-hmm. they really deliver and i did think that this had a very strong close and i felt like it kind of fell in line with your typical big naito match from the past few years sonata you know is kind of the same way he's got certain things that if you've watched a lot of his matches you know what to expect there are there's a technical proficiency and there are the few big flippy moves that he'll do, like the dive to the over the top ropes to the outside, and a few other big spots that are very impressive. But for, but then it's the in between stuff where it's very lackluster and kind of just go, going through the motions. A little bit of that here. I did think that both guys seemed a bit like a tad more invested than usual. And while this wasn't like your fiery, heated blow off send a guy off from the group sort of match. Um, I did think that they were putting maybe 10% more effort in, (laughs) (laughs) you know, it wasn't quite as slow Mm -hmm. from either guy as what I'm used to seeing from them, even in this same tournament in previous matches in the tournament. And so that, 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 that's the one thing I did think that they were working slightly faster pace. Um, The thing though, and we'll get to the post-match there they did not send off sonata necessarily on the type of terms where it's like okay one of these this guy's leaving and now he's a heel or now we're heels or whatever like it didn't seem like there was bad blood mm-hmm. the same way when evil left it was more like i have no future if i stay here i've outgrown the group if i'm going to like elevate i need to leave and the match was indicative of that sort of vibe. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think it fit that, that, that kind of uh, mood. Gotcha. But yeah, so, but like you mentioned, the closing stretch was really good. Um, Sonata reversed the Destino into that new spinning DT thing that he's been doing. So that was a cool 
uh, finish there. And then uh, here's one thing I don't like about that. Can I can I just be real for a second? Yeah. He's steal. He's jacking all his fucking finishes from Jay White. <laughs> it, it, it's one thing to just have a similar move, right? Mm-hmm. I get that the move is similar. It's just a DDT version of the Blade Runner. Blade Runner. But he's hitting it in the exact same way <laughs> with the exact same opponents <laughs> that Jay White did before he left the company. Yeah. And I haven't heard anyone else say this, but I'm like, I saw him. I saw Jay White hit that exact same finish on on Naito several times. Like, it's literally like those those memes where it's like, you know, can I copy your homework? It's like, okay, but you know, make it look it, different. Make it a little different. He's <laughs> like, I'll make it a DDT. <laughs> Bro, he's they're doing the same setups and they're doing the same finishes. Like that to me, I don't know. Maybe other people are happy about that. that feels fucking cheap to me. Like. You know, if you're going to be this great counter wrestler, you can't do the exact same <laughs> counters that the dude who was known as the best counter wrestler in the business did before he left the company. It, it, it's fucking cheap. Yeah, exactly. I like the idea that he's building off of another person's finish that already has a kayfabe. Like, you know, when he hit the Blade Runner, unless you're Okada, you didn't kick out of it. Mm-hmm. So, so there's already a foundation, and now he's added an extra element and changed it a bit. I like that. I just don't like him hitting it in the exact same way that yeah. Jay White did. You know? Yeah, he went back to Gato. Like, oh, Jay's gone. Can I do the Blade Runner? Yeah, he's like, <laughs> he's like, well, oh, just change it, but don't, don't, don't do all the same setups. He's like, oh, I won't. And then he did. <laughs> all bro, this whole tournament, every match that he's been in, he's hit the the. I don't even know what. It, it doesn't have a name yet. I don't think. I don't the say runner. <laughs> the, uh, I don't know the jag but, jag runner. Yeah, the, the, the five guys runner. <laughs> I don't know, but yeah, he's hitting it the exact same way. Yeah, so um, so yeah, he gets the win, and then the the post match, um, you know, Tai Chi was on commentary, so he gets up and um, goes in the ring, and then the the rest of just four guys. Comes in the ring, Taka, Kanemaru, and Doki. And like you mentioned tonight, I was like, yeah, you know, if I stay in LIJ, I, I can't grow. I'm stuck here. I need to leave. I want to, you know, get better. So he says, I'm no longer in LIJ. He's like, now we are just five guys. And you know, Shingo. You know, that her- was co- what that was code for was, I'm not Naito and I'm not uh, <laughs> Shingo. So I got to go. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, Sonata and Hiromu were out there. Sonata, or, or Shingo looked pissed. He was like, I can't believe you. <laughs> Bro, Shingo was, so Shingo, did you see the post-match comments from Shingo? No. Bro, so Shingo's not angry that he left. Shingo's angry that he chose Tai Chi over him. Because <laughs> you know how he's had so many issues with Tai Chi, over, yeah. especially over the past year? Yeah. That's what he's pissed about. He's like, he's like. You're, are you fucking for real? Tai Chi? <laughs> Bro, we're boys. And you're going to choose Tai Chi? <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, Shingo, yeah, he, his facial expressions were great. He was just, like, shook and pissed at the same time. Yeah, um, he, one, of, uh, one of the screen grabs that one of our, our buddies grabbed, it said, like, Sonata, I'm greatly disappointed. Yeah. <laughs> Someone's like, I'm going to save this for future use because there's so many times. That that would be applicable as it, it pertains to Sonata, but uh, yeah, yeah, this is a big, 
Big, big, big win. First time he's ever beat Naito, to, the, to, to my knowledge. And he moves on in the tournament. Huge victory over a huge star. A lot of people were counting him out. Um, you know, and so we move on, and we've got a final four of four guys that have um, – well, actually, I was going to say have never won the tournament, but Sonata has won the tournament. <laughs> no, actually, I don't think he has, has he? No. Didn't Sonata win it in 2019 and then fight Okada for the title? No. I don't I don't, I don't know, think man. he's ever won. I've lost track I think of he, I think he got close. Uh, I think he lost to Okada in the finals. And then Did he? because it was such a good match, Okada gave him a rematch once Okada won the belt back. Well, I mean, that's the dirty little secret. The runner-up in the New Japan Cup typically does get a title shot later on, and most people never, ever acknowledge it. But, yeah, uh, you're probably right. <laughs> but we've got four guys that, you know, at the beginning of the tournament, most people counted out as not being capable of um, headlining uh, a big Ryogoku, you know, show against Okada. And now, now here we are. So from that standpoint, they've done a good job. And we move on to night 10. Yes, definitely a great job setting the the field there. So uh, moving on to actually before we move on, I got to say, I I feel bad for anybody who has bought a uh, just for guys shirt or towel. They they got Y2AJ'd. Bro, they should have known that that is the Y2AJ. Like, if you don't think that this group is going to still be just for guys in six months, don't buy the merch, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Why did you even like, why did they even make the merch if they knew that they were Doing that because this is a carny ass business, Jeremy. <laughs> uh, and yes, Okada did beat Sonata in the 2019 finals, so that that's okay. Cool. And then he went on and beat Jay at mm-hmm. Madison Square Garden, yeah, and then turned around and defended against Sonata, yeah. Gotcha, okay, disregard. <laughs> All right, so uh, night 10, March 18th, we had uh. Kosei Vegeta and Zack Sabre Jr. defeating Oscar Lupe and Roy Oiwa. Aaron Hanare and Kyle Fletcher defeated Hanma and Yoshihashi. We had Strong Style defeating Chase Owens, ELP, and Kenta by DQ. So they've been setting up this strong openweight title match with Suzuki and Kenta. And these guys have been kind of brawling with each other. And there's like a wild brawl here. And so that's, that match is coming up. Um, during WrestleMania weekend at the, the Impact New Japan Multiverse show they're doing. Uh, then we had Great Okan, Jeff Cobb, and Mark Davis defeating the House of Torture. Then Leo Rush, Ishii, Yano, and Yo defeated Bushi, Hiromu, Shingo, and Naito. And then we had our two quarterfinal matches. First, we had the Rebel, David Finley, defeating the Roughneck, Shota Umino. Oh, yeah, I misspoke. I, I was, like, doing the whole, we got the final four guys here. <laughs> We're not even done with this round yet. <laughs> yeah, so um, David Finley beat Shota Umino. Um, I, I liked this a bit more than the match he had with Great Okan. But... Um, I don't know. This didn't really stand out to me for either guy, really, to be honest with you. I don't know. I, I liked it a lot. I thought this was a better Finley match than the, the Ocon match for him. And again, I thought Shota looked really good. They had a lot of really good counters and reversals in this match, especially uh, towards the end there where Umino was trying to hit the uh, the Death Rider and eventually like uh, Finley kind of spinned around and got him into the Trash Panda. I thought that was pretty cool. 
I do think that this was a very important match. Uh, you've got two guys that are sort of um, in transition and on an upward tra- trajectory. Mm-hmm. And so there, and there's definitely some, some unsettledness with the fans as to the future of new Japan and, and kind of waiting to see what happens with these guys. So I thought this match was fine. I, I thought it was good. Not great. I'd go like three and a half on it. Um, I'm not sold personally on either one just yet. Still, um, I, I do think that they both still have a lot to prove, but I thought that this was a good base for a future match down the road. I imagine if David Finley is going to continue with Bull Club for the long haul and Shotomino is going to be a Hansai guy, we're going to see other um, clashes between these two guys, whether it be in tags or even singles. So um, I, I did think they have good chemistry, though. Um, yeah, but you know, unfortunately, the one thing throughout this tournament is David Finley's ability that's kind of secured him the victory. Is even through adversity, he's been able to find creative ways to uh, set up and land that trash panda. Sometimes almost out of nowhere mm-hmm. to pick up wins. And I wasn't sure how you felt about that, Jeremy, because I'm a little torn. Like on the one hand, he's definitely. I mean, like. Um, he he's definitely using it almost in a counter manner, similar to like what Sonata's trying to do, but it's a little bit more has a little bit more ingenuity in the way he's doing it, which is nice. Sometimes when he lands it, though, because I don't feel like it's really been established as a killer finisher up mm-hmm. to now, it, it's a little anticlimactic. I'm like expecting people to kick out, and they're not they're not going to. Mm-hmm. The other thing too is. I don't know if I buy it as a strong finisher because it's almost just kind of like a semi souped up Ushiguroshi. What are you, how are you feeling about it? Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of with you, kind of mixed feelings. Because again, you know, this is a move he was, he was doing as Bayface, uh, you know, part part of Hauntai, and he didn't always win with it. Or you, like you mentioned, people would kick out. It wasn't a super protected, strong finisher. Um, but the, on the other hand, I do like the kind of creative ways that he's getting into it, which I guess you can say is kind of making the move stronger that way. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, I mean, I, I'm liking it so far. I mean, if he came with a new finisher, I, I wouldn't mind. But I think this is kind of a good transition in, in the meantime. Yeah, I just wonder if you have him create a new finisher, does that negate the fact that they just instituted a new finisher for Sonata? Who are you know both guys just recently joined new groups, have new makeovers, everything, yada yada yada. It might be too much to also give them both new finishers. So I don't know if I'm a huge fan of changing David Finley's finish, although I guess they could if they wanted. Mm-hmm. But um I, I don't know if I'm fully bought in on the trash panda as the finisher yeah, just yeah. yet. I do like, though, one thing he, he started to do, he's starting to pull down the knee pad, and he has an X mark yeah, under the knee pad. Yeah, that's cool. And that's a nice touch. Yeah, he's also uh, been doing this cool-looking Dominator uh, move. It's like one of his new signatures. Bro, it's like a sit-out Dominator on the side. I like that better than Trash Panda. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's some, some Wrestlers do that, man. Sometimes they'll have like a really cool signature move that's not you know the, the finish, and I'm always like, why not? Right. You know? <laughs> that well, I don't know if you recall, like Shawn Michaels back in the day, like the super kick was not his finish. Right. The uh, teardrop suplex. Yeah, it was the teardrop. The Saito suplex was his real finish. Yeah. 
And then they were like, why don't you just start kicking people? <laughs> I mean, I already am. I guess I, I guess I could just turn that into the finisher. You know, <laughs> I think that's also what happened with, um, you know, back in Ishii used to hit the, uh, the brain buster as just like a, a, one of his signature moves. And then he's like, I'll just start finishing people with it. <laughs> well, his brain buster is dope. So I'm good with that one. Yeah. So, yeah. So yeah. Finley gets the, the big win here advances uh, into the semi finals um, beating Umino here. So then the other quarterfinal match, we had the never open weight champion Tama Tonga defeating one half of the IWGP Tag Team Champions, Hiroki Goto, 16 minutes and 38 seconds. I really like this match. I liked it quite a bit more than the semi main event. Um, you know, it, it went against my booking, which was I sort of, I think I booked Goto to potentially beat Tamatonga to maybe establish him as a uh, potential challenger. Um, I know that during the preview, both you and Chris had mentioned, you know, was that really viable considering he's also the current tag champion? And, you know, that made sense. And I think that probably you guys proved to be correct in that manner. But uh, this was a match where going into it, Tamatonga had beat I'm sorry, Goto had beat Tamatonga seven times in all their previous encounters and had never lost to Tamatonga. So, you know, Tama had a lot to kind of like live up to, but he Mm -hmm. came in as the defending never champion and, uh, you know, kind of held his position. I thought that they had a lot of great fire. Uh, This felt a little bit more sprinty than some of the other matches in the tournament at 16 minutes plus for a main event. I thought it was a really good pace, really good, uh, match and they at the end where they were just kind of both busting out of each other's finishers and then uh you know a lot of back and forth reversals until finally tamatanga hit the the gun stun on goto i thought the match was really great i was glad to kind of see this more fiery side of tamatanga that we did get last year but has i mean he spent the early part of the year in the latter part of last year you know engaged in this thing with uh uh Carl Anderson so we didn't really get to see too much of this side of Tamatonga so it was nice to kind of get more of like what really got him over last year in the first mm-hmm. place in this match and uh Tamatonga beats him clean one two three moves on and uh yeah I was pretty satisfied I thought it was a good main event yeah I thought it was a great yeah never style sprint matchup like these guys were it was very hard hitting a lot of great strike exchanges but also kind of that that fast pace you know Tamatonga Another kind of great, you know, counter wrestler or kind of evasion wrestler. He has those kind of great misdirection off the rope run. So a lot of great stuff there. And yeah, these guys laid it in. It, it was a 16 minute match, hard hitting. Um, Tamatonga's been doing great setting up the gun stun and creating all these counters where it's you, you think he's going to hit the gun stun. He, he's almost all the way down with the other guy, stops him at the last second. And, Catches him, and so they did a lot of really great reverses like that. But yeah, eventually, yeah, he was able to hit the gun stun and get the win on Goto, which would uh, move him into the semifinals. Nice. So, uh, as I mentioned before, we end up with our four finalists going into uh, New Japan Cup Night 11 on March 19th. Uh, the show opened up with a tag team match Oscar Luebe and Shoto Umino. They defeated 
the TMDK team of Kosei Fujita and Zack Sabre Jr., 11 minutes and five seconds. Um, as you probably guessed, Zach did take the fall to Oscar Luebe. So Oscar beat him with a bear hug. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, Shoto Mino uh, beat Kosei Fujita with his um, STF. Mm-hmm. Uh, second match of the night, Bullet Club team of Chase Owens, El Phantasmo, Kenta. They defeated the Chaos team of Tomohiro Ishii, Toriano, and Ryohei Oiwa. Third match of the night, House of Torture team. Um, all four members defeated the Strong Style uh, Trio along with Ryuzuki Taguchi. Um, after the match, there was, and actually they defeated them via, um, this was the match where they defeated them via uh, disqualification, right? Uh, no, that was the, the previous night. Oh, okay. If, uh, Kent, but, Kenta was in the match. Gotcha. Okay. Wait, but uh, they're, on, I think they, I'm mixing the matches up now. Cause no, Kenta. Yeah, yeah. When he, they were facing Strong Style, was facing the, the Bull Club with Kenta and Chase and ELP. Well, I think we should probably make note. There was one evening, one of these two nights. I think it was the previous night where uh, Kenta attacked Suzuki with a chair and got disqualified. And they're making it very clear that uh, Suzuki is going to be challenging next for the New Japan Strong Openweight uh, Championship, which you know. Suzuki's coming back to America. Go figure. (laughs) (laughs) Um, After that fourth match of the night, we have the United Empire team of Jeff Cobb and Kyle Fletcher. They defeated Tomaki Hanma and Yoshihashi. Fifth match of the night, the United Empire team of Aaron Hanari and Great Okan defeated the LIJ team of Bushi and Shingo Takagi. And then the sixth match of the night, the LIJ team of Hiromu Takahashi and Tetsuya Naito defeated the Chaos team of Leo Rush and Yo. And that brings us to the final two matches in the semifinal round of the New Japan Cup. Yeah, so first we had the Rebel David Finley defeating the Never Openweight Champion Tamatonga, 18 minutes and 47 seconds. This was very good. Um, a lot of great athleticism and, um, you know, a, a very high work rate from both guys. And um, I think aside from the opening match that David Finley had with Ishii, which was really blow away, this was probably the best showing that David Finley had in the tournament. And I think that this is probably Tamatonga's best showing in the tournament as well. So great match for both guys who have recently undergone, you know, relatively speaking, a pretty big elevation in their standings within the company, uh, Gaijin versus Gaijin. So, um, David Finley did beat Tamatonga pretty emphatically, hit him with the trash panda, one, two, three, which is really saying something because Tamatonga is a guy who, um, you know, there's a lot of symbolism there. The fact that he is an original member of the Bullet Club, a guy that recently warred with the Bullet Club just last year and had uh, recently also defeated um, the former. Uh, deposed leader of the Bull Club and Jay White, as well as uh, fellow uh, OG of the Bullet Club, Carl Anderson. So Tamatonga is a guy who is not, uh, you know, at all unfamiliar with fighting Bullet Club or, or dealing with their tactics. So the fact that they had David Finley go in there, take it to him, and beat him clean, one, two, three in the middle of the ring, uh, really does say something. And unfortunately, Tamatonga. Uh, his uh, quest to win the New Japan Cup was brought to a halt. This was his best showing in the tournament ever, 
But uh, David Finley does pick up the win and moves on to the finals of the tournament. Uh, one thing I did notice, though, I don't know if you caught wind of this, Jeremy, like at the end of the match, um, when David Finley's sort of, uh, you know, when they're doing the whole bit with him and uh, Gato in the middle of the ring and Gato's, you know, doing his his whole shtick, the, the, the camera kind of cut to Tama and he just sort of hightailed it out of there. Like, yeah, we, did, I think, <laughs> we had a question. I think here. he might have been pissed. <laughs> we had a question here from uh, UD Dojo. It says, where does Tama Tonga go from here? After losing, he rolled out the ring and headed to the back. He had a train to catch. He didn't sell the finish at all. Yeah, normally these guys get an ice pack and kind of crouch down and sell their injury. Like, he didn't do that at all. He just grabbed his belt and kind of walked off. And yeah. I was like, damn. Like, <laughs> bro, he might have, who knows, he might have thought for some reason that he was winning this tournament. I don't know. <laughs> Got to the arena like, yeah, Finley's going up. What? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, but I, I really enjoyed the matchup here. I thought, yes, two of these guys, one, one of their best matches in the tournament, great chemistry. Like you mentioned, there was that whole Bull Club kind of underlying story there with Tama being a, a former member and uh, Finley now kind of taking the, the reins uh, of the club now. So, again, really good back-and-forth counters uh, between these guys uh, towards the end of the matchup. Uh, you had Finley hitting a stunner for a near fall, followed up with a spear, uh, Tama eventually got the sharpshooter uh, near the 15-minute the uh, call. Um, Finley got the ropes. You had um, more back and forth there. Finley hitting that dominator that we talked about. Um, and Tama hit the, the Bloody Sunday, which is a you know a Bullet Club leader move originally from uh, Prince Devitt. Um, and then uh, that all led to Finley blocking the gun stun and hitting the, the trash panda to get the win. And again, another story element, you you had uh, Gato versus Jado here. We know that their history and them breaking up. And so obviously Jado was in Tama's corner while Gato was in Dave Finley's corner. So you had both of those guys kind of cheering their guy on throughout the match as well. Well, you know, uh, to kind of answer part of that question that was asked earlier, where does Tama go from here? There's quite a few events coming up. And so uh, with him being the never open weight champion, there's plenty of opportunity between now and say Ria Goku for them to establish another challenger or even maybe establish it uh, at Sakura Genesis. Who knows? Plus, not to mention the US show. So there's a lot there. But if they don't opt to do any of that, and if hypothetically David Finley is unsuccessful in his quest to win the title, uh, he did get a clean win over the current reigning never openweight champion, which hypothetically could entitle him to maybe turning around a month or two from now and saying like, hey, I want your belt. Uh, so that's mm. always a possibility. I'm not saying it's a likelihood, but it is possible. Yeah. We also had a question from OKOK890. Do you think Finley fighting clean makes him too likable? Or has he done a good enough job being brutal and mean enough to still be booed? I, I think he's doing a really good job doing using rough tactics, and he is cheating. I mean, he is like def. I mean, not like overtly. Like it's not like William Regal esque. Yeah, but I mean, I mean, he's gouging the eyes. He's fish hooking, yeah. pulling the hair, pulling the nose. He's jaw jacking with the ref. You know, he's using underhanded tactics. He's pulling uh, a tight on a pinfall here or there. He's doing all, you know, and then a lot of like uh, off color outside 
you know, sort of uh, rough tactics as well. So uh, there's no mistaking that he's a heel in these encounters. And it's not necessarily the things he or that he's doing aren't necessarily likable, if that makes sense. Right. And he's, you know, telling the fans that they're number one, shooting them the double birds. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, he's acting like he's one of the uh, the outsiders from the uh, women's division in uh, <laughs> AEW. And, you know, he's not too sweeting fans. He's like, hey, you're not good enough for my too sweet. I'm not going to too sweet you. So definitely kind of leaning against the whole, you know, the, the cool bull club of wanting to too sweet everybody. Yeah. Um, so I def I, I now do I think that um, I think there was a brutality that was on display against Tomohiro Ishii, and for whatever reason, it hasn't necessarily been dialed in or on display the same way it was in these other subsequent uh, tournament matches. And I would like to see more of that, because as good of a talent as David Finley is, and there's no denying that he is very talented, and I think a lot of the makeover, uh, the new shape he's got himself into this new attitude it's all working it's it's great but i don't know if i still believe just yet in him as being the quote-unquote leader top guy whatever you want to call it the the de facto guy in bullet club or even really a champion uh, like an iwgp level champion in new japan i don't see that yet the only time that i kind of changed my tune on that was in the Tomohiro Ishii match. And that might just be because Tomohiro Ishii <laughs> is the guy that you could put anybody in there with, and he will make, I mean, God damn, like, bro, there was a moment where he was wrestling Moose a couple years ago in LA, and I was like, this Moose guy, he's got it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's put him in there with Okada. He's got it. <laughs> but, um, you know, that is, the, that is kind of a trick. You put someone that you want to get over in there with Ishii, and like, you know, we're going to find out what, what what they have, but I would like to see more of that version of David Finley in these matches to kind of buy into him a little bit more than I am currently. Yeah, I still feel like he's been aggressive in the other matches. Maybe not as he has, yes, not as hard hitting as the Ishii match, but I think his style has totally changed. You, you can like watch a Bayface Finley match versus a, a now heel Bullet Club Finley match. You can see. A stark difference. He's definitely more aggressive, more hard hitting. He's doing different move sets than he was doing before. So I definitely think, yeah, that's been helping. Obviously, the Ishii match I think was you know the kind of the top notch, like the perfect like something you don't want every match. But I still feel like the Tanganga and some of the other matches were still pretty hard hitting, pretty aggressive, and kind of helped get this new character over. Um, couple last things. I really have liked a lot of the uh, verbalization. I know I'm not a big, I'm not usually big on people talking while in the ring too much, but every now and again, some of the comments that Finley is making uh, are kind of popping me a bit and um, helping me to kind of like dig in more on this new character. Plus, some of the the promo work he's doing is really helping as well. Yeah. Um, I thought that having ELP on commentary for this match was pretty interesting because we sort of got a little bit more of an understanding of where he's coming from, from a character perspective and what the, uh, you know, sort of the dynamics between him and uh, Finley are and what the beef between them is and everything like that. And 
you know, at the end of the match, uh, David Finley kind of came over to the commentary booth and sort of had a, uh, a come to Jesus moment with, uh, ELP and was like, you know, I told you to fall in line. I told you you needed to listen to what I was saying. And here I am going to the finals and here you are out of the tournament. And I, I don't know when you're going to learn that my ways work. And he was like, and then like, and basically ELP had to like swallow his pride. And he's like, if you win it, you win it for the club. Come on, baby. Let's go all the way. And like, he's very disingenuous, but like, mm. what can you say when the guy <laughs> is in the finals and you're on the commentary booth? You know right. You I mean? got knocked out in the first round. <laughs> yeah, you got, you got beat by Naito with the bad knees. Like there's nothing else you can say. Yeah, and even him, he was like, yeah, you know, I, I don't like it, but I can't say much. And he's like, I got I got eliminated. He, this guy, he's going into the finals. So, you know, I don't, I don't like it, but, you know, maybe I do need to listen to him. Yeah, so um, there we go, David Finley. One last thing, I, I want to point this out, and I think that this is going to fit into the discourse of our uh, preview for the finals. David Finley... Uh, very rarely was main eventing on these nights. He was most of the night semi-main event, even as the leader of Bull Club or whatever you want to call it. You know, I, I know it's not official, but he kind of is. Mm-hmm. And he was usually on the smaller towns versus, you know, he didn't headline the Corkin shows. And I don't know if that tells you anything. I, I think it is something to read into a little bit here. Even on this night mm-hmm. where you have the finals, you know, you get – Sonata and Mark Davis, and you know it's not Mark Davis who's <laughs> pushing them. As as great as he is, like he's an unknown commodity as it pertains to singles matches. Mm-hmm. Mark Davis wasn't the reason that they were in the main event. I think it's interesting that we're not seeing a lot of David Finley in the main event in these matches, and to me, that's a key indicator of who's winning this tournament. And I think that that's tells you everything you need to know about who's probably going forward. Yeah, you would think with Davis being in there that they would have, you know, pushed Finley Tama as the main event. Uh, you know, Tama was a champion. I could, I could have easily seen that being the main event. Yeah, I'm surprised it wasn't. Yeah, same here. Yeah, Tama was a champion. There's history there. The whole Bull Club stuff. They could have really built that up and made the main. But yeah, they went with uh, Sonata versus Mark Davis. Well, you know, you can't say on the one hand, well, if Osprey was there, it would have been Sonata Osprey, and you, you could have seen it as the main event. But it was, it was Mark Davis who were saying, you know, he's a tag guy not established like kind of a weird spot to be in yeah so we get the main event match here sonata coming down to the ring with his new stable mates doki taichi takamichinoku and yoshinabu uh, kenemaru he defeats mark davis of aussie open along with his stable mates from the united empire 13 minutes and 20 seconds and um, before we talk about the match, Sonata coming down with sh- clean-shaven face, no more blonde or, or bleached hair, completely jet black, handsome Sonata <laughs> has finally returned <laughs> to New Japan Pro Wrestling. Yes, he came out uh, in in the skull gear, you know, the cold skull gear with the mask and the coat and everything. And so it counts as, you know, regular LIJ Sonata. And then he he pulls the the mask off, like you mentioned. Yeah, clean shaven, the beard's gone, back to the natural uh, black hair, looking like you know it's you know TNA, say a Sonata out here. 
And you know, just five guys. They show their uh, their new hand signal. They all put their uh, thumbs in the middle, and yeah, they're they're now just five guys. Now, here's one thing that I hope this man rectifies. Right? Mm-hmm. Okay. And I've been saying this for a long time, but on this tour, it just became unbearably egregious. Sonata has been wearing the same ring gear for years on end like i feel like he debuted this ring gear during the g1 when he was facing off against uh abushi in the finals yeah that's like two or three g1s back and you know what i don't even know if that's when he debuted it it could have even been further back but that's i definitely remember him wearing it as late as that this ring gear is so worn that I don't know if you've noticed, he's got like the pleather pants with like the gold lines on it. And then on the sides, he's got like a like sort of a felt or, you know, it's a fuzzy fabric that used to have designs on it. <laughs> the designs got so worn that he peeled them off on this tour so that he just had the fuzzy part. And if you really looked closely, you could still see like, have you ever had that with clothes, like where you have a logo and you peel it off and like it's still kind of there, but it's like the same yeah, color as the shirt? The outline is kind of there, yeah. That's what he was wearing on this tour. And then the gold lines that he had on his pants were just like, if you paid attention, they were all faded. But the problem is his mask and his jacket, which are raw as fuck, are the same design as his pants. So he can't change the pants or he has to change everything else. I, I don't know why, but this man is so frugal when it comes to his <laughs> ring gear. Like when, you know, he he has to make more money than Bushi, I would have to gather. And like Bushi's buying new gear every fucking show. Bushi has a new mask like every... <laughs> yeah, bro. You know how much a mask is? Bro, masks are expensive. Like really expensive. And not only does he buy a new mask, he buys one new mask and then a ring entrance mask and he never wears it again like he's spending mad money of thousands of dollars <laughs> on ring gear and then this man sonata hasn't bought new gear in years so i know that he looks good i know he's got the all black hair and which is kind of cool because he did that in solidarity with the other just four guys all, i don't know if you noticed all of them since they joined this new stable all got rid of their bleach like talking right. bleach he got rid of it um, obviously Tai Chi very notably got rid of it, all of them. And now Sonata's another one of them. And now he's clean shaved, bro. That shave is a difference maker. He went from looking like an actual Jag to being like, all right, let's fucking belt up this man. He's a, he's a world <laughs> champion. This is a, this is a world <laughs> champion, but he needs new gear. It's not enough to just shave your face and dye your hair. He's got to get new gear. Like, yeah, I think I, he needs. Yeah, he needs whole new gear, new tights, new ring entrance. I think he needs to get new music. Yeah, totally abandon everything. Lij and just get get a whole fresh makeover. Now the match. One simple word, Jeremy. Banger, <laughs> <laughs> bro. This was one of the best recent memory sub fifteen minute matches for singles matches, New Japan that I can think of. I I really, really, really liked this match. I thought both of these guys went out there and worked their asses off. And, like, Sonata, you know, I don't – I know Sonata, like, 
I'm a little nervous, Jeremy, because I started to get this feeling. Who's his biggest influence in professional wrestling as far as training and mentoring goes? Isn't it uh, Muto? Uh-huh. Isn't Muto the guy that, like, didn't really try that hard until the moment really called for it, and then he would go out there and work hard, but mm. any other time he didn't really work hard? I wonder if that's where Sonata's been getting this. <laughs> this it all makes it all makes sense now. It's all starting to make, and then it's like, oh, you're gonna give me a world title shot? All right. Now he's clean. Now he cares about his presentation. He didn't care about his presentation, you know, when he's wrestling, uh, you know, whoever the fuck, what, who he Manabu Soya, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's wrestling Manabu Soya. He doesn't give a fuck, but you know, you're gonna, oh, you're gonna. Put me in the finals of the New Japan Cup. All right. All right. I'll shave the beard. <laughs> I'll shave the beard. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. So, um, but the work was really great. Um, you know, I definitely think Sonata was motivated, but you can't undersell the pace and the style and the push of Mark Davis. Bro, Mark Davis, you know who he reminds me of? They're, I know that they're like out there and they're trying to get over the the Brody and the Hanson, mostly the Stan Hanson um, illusions and everything like that, yada, yada. And they're like, talk about these big men that he wrestles. Like, I can only think of one big man in the last 25 years that reminds me of Mark Davis in any way. Can you guess who it is? No, I'm blanking. He reminds me of Samoa Joe, bro. Oh, that is a great comparison. The way he wrestles with the violence and the velocity and everything like that, but then, and being a hoss, but then also mixing in the high spot athleticism that you're not used to seeing from guys his size. Mine reminds me a lot of Joe. I mean, I guess you could probably throw Kenta Kobashi in there, but I don't know if his style reminds me of that, but he reminds me of Joe. Yeah, now you say that's a great shout right there. And. Yeah, you know, Mark Davis, he was not going to let this be a bad match. We talked about in the previous match with Evil, like, he's making the most of this opportunity, and he was going to make sure that Sonata worked hard, and, and Mark Davis worked super hard in this match. And again, that big suicide dive, kind of similar to Samoa Joe, but he just crashed into Sonata, into the guardrail. He crumpled Sonata with that suicide dive, and, man, he was just super aggressive in this match. I loved it. There was only one bad part of the match when Mark Davis went to the top rope to do that I splash. Think it was supposed to be a splash, <laughs> and, and like ELP was on the rope or on the call, and ELP was, and like they have a lot of history together, going back to they like lived together in England, and he was like, "What's Mark doing? He never goes to the top rope. I've never seen this man go to the top rope." And like, bro, his crash landing was about as bad as my crash my crash landing, bro. I'm so scared of the top rope. You have no idea. And uh, yeah, it looked exactly like that. Like, oh, like, <laughs> but what was smart about it was he crash lands and falls on the ground. And then that sets up an opportunity for Sonata to go up and try to land the Muda Moonsault. And instead, he gets a, you know, a whole stomach full of knees, courtesy of Mark Davis. It almost feels like that might have been a bit of a bait and switch. And even if it wasn't, it came off that way. It was kind of nice. Yeah, he got the knees up and was able to get a quick little roll up there off of that there. But then after that was the great spot. So Sonata does the O'Connor roll. It's a near fall. Then Davis does this thing where he 
pulls Sonata up by his legs and then catches him and pile drives him. That was dope. Have you noticed that that's one of he's done? He did that in the almost every big match. That's one of his like major single spots. Yeah, he hits that big powder, but the way he did it here was a little bit different though. He just like how he snatched his legs and like threw him up and then caught him down. I was like, that was raw. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what he does, and it it, it was really great there. And then not only did he land it. And the sell job from Sonata was really great, but like having Kyle Fletcher on the outside be like, cover him, Mark, cover him. <laughs> and like when he went to cover, I was like, damn, like, did I know it's not his finish, but like it looked like that Dude, could be if, it. If it and wasn't, he, if that was it, I would have been fine. Cause like he, looked, I would have been fine too. <laughs> he, he killed Sonata with that thing. And then he, listen, picked- this is how good Mark Davis has been in this tournament. <laughs> he went from being a guy that at the very beginning we were like, has no bro we thought he was losing the yano toro yano to start the term not because we don't like or believe in mark davis we just thought he was slotted in that tags big tag special that day boy smith jr role does does a job to yano in the first round of the tournament there's a history of that we just thought that that was what was going to happen here and by the end of it we're like yeah if he beat say sonata to go to the finals of the new japan cup i'd be fine <laughs> Yeah, and then he he goes after that that pile driver near fall. He picks up Sonata and goes for the the water slide slam, which obviously it got a great um, near fall there because you know he hit that on Evil, and so the fans are kind of buying into that. So he had him for the, for the the water slide and was spinning around, but then Sonata was able to spin out and hit his Blade Runner DDT thing and get the win. Yes, um, and that kind of. Um the interesting thing there is that like Mark Davis was kind of owning Sonata for like the, the whole final stanza of the match. Mm -hmm. And then finally out of nowhere, Sonata picks up the win. Yeah. I'm just telling you, bro, that's a Jay white finish. Yeah. Like he's, he's even though Jay white never fought Mark Davis or, you know, in new Japan on on a major stage that we know of the way that Sonata's laying out his finish, I'm wondering if like Ghetto or somebody was helping lay out like Jay White's finish, or I I don't know who it is, but I'm wondering if whoever was helping Jay White is helping Sonata and telling him to do the same stuff, or if Sonata is just like, I'm gonna, let me just jack your shit. Yeah. Oh, you you're going to the Fed. You're going to the Fed. All right, I got you. I'll just do the same stuff. It worked for him. Now it's my time. Oh man. You know, we all think we all think David Finley is replacing Jay White. Nah, it's Sonata. Switchblade Sonata. Switch Sonata. <laughs> What's his, his new nickname? I'm no longer the Cold Skull. I'm the Switchblade. Wait, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, so yeah, post match, uh, Finley and Gato come out. Breathe and- with Sonata. <laughs> <laughs> Breathe with the guys. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Finley and Gato come out uh, to the ring, and they Finley goes nose to nose Sonata. Uh, Gato gets on the mic. He says, "See you next time." Just five losers, <laughs> <laughs> and walks off. So we we got our our final uh, setup now with the Rebel David Finley versus Sonata of now just five guys. Ton of questions here about this match. First from friend of the show Dan Coffin. He says, "How much was Mark Davis's stock risen since he got the spotlight due to Will's injury?" Will Aussie Open be the one to dethrone Bishamon? Are you joining the Dunkzilla bandwagon with me? Hashtag dump truck gang. 
Well, I mean, we've always liked Mark Davis, so that, that that's nothing new. And um, as far as how much his stock has risen, I mean, this tournament has done nothing but uh, pay out dividends for both Mark Davis as well as Kyle Fletcher. But more recently, Mark Davis, just because the the, the spot that he was put in. Um, and like I said earlier, I think that the run that they've gone on and the credibility that's been lent to them can't do anything but uh, basically like elevate their their uh argument to be the ones to beat Bishamon at this point you know mm -hmm. um whether that happens or not remains to be seen but like at the same time like down the road if they want to go singles with one or both of these guys do i think that they have both done enough to show that they're trustworthy that they can be trusted in that spot and be used or utilized in that spot absolutely i think that that's there they've done that and this was a huge test and they passed but in the more immediate future i don't see that happening tomorrow or a month from now or maybe even a year from now necessarily but mm -hmm. since they're going back to tags, this has done nothing but benefit them, benefit their group, and really probably elevate them quite a bit with the New Japan fan base moving forward. Yeah, like you mentioned, we've yeah been fans of Aussie Open and Mark Davis, Dunksella for a while. You know, uh, Aussie Open attendees of the uh, Social Suplex uh, Suplex Mania watch party in New York that we had. Yeah, I wasn't gonna say anything. I was like, but we hung out with these guys. They're really nice. Like, they're, <laughs> you know, they they trained with Chris Bryan, you know, who is a member of the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Like, we we've met them. They're lovely people. Yeah, we had the uh, the pre United Empire at the uh, the watch party with uh, Aussie Open and Will Osprey there. Uh, but yeah, uh, I thought this, this tournament has done great work for Mark Davis. I think it's really heated up Aussie Open. For a tag team title match, we we have the final card for the final, so it's not happening there. My guess is we're we're going to see Aussie Open versus Bishamon at Sakura Genesis on April eighth, and so I, I think that you know these guys they're you know hitting all cylinders again. They're fired up. They've got momentum. I think now is the time to uh, build up Aussie Open and get these boys a contract before TK comes in and swipes them away. Uh, next question here from Rambone Slam Pig. He says, I was already pretty invested in Aussie Open, but this tournament has really done a great job of getting each member over as an individual. Is Mark Davis's improbable run the biggest surprise of the tournament? I think most thought of Fletcher as the more likely single star. Yeah. I'm, well, the, I'll, I'll, one thing I will say is I've never for any measure of time um doubted the abilities of mark davis i think when we've had discussions in the past even on this show about the upside of a singles run for either guy um when we've kind of gone to bat for kyle fletcher it's more based off of different things like the age is probably and the looks is probably the biggest uh differential between the two guys where mark davis is a little bit older maybe doesn't have what you know, some people would consider classically, although he's not like an ugly man or anything, but like, you know, from a marketability standpoint, people like the clean cut look of like a Kyle Fletcher versus like the more rugged Mark Davis. Mm -hmm. But as far as the, the in between the ring goes, like both guys are immensely talented. So, I mean, that's never been up for question or, or doubted on this show anyways. Um, 
But speaking of like surprises, yeah, I would say as surprising as the things that have gone on as it pertains to Sonata, as well as uh, <laughs> David Finley go, the biggest surprise of the tournament is Mark Davis. And not just because he was great, which he always is, but the, the, the way he was able to go out there and go further in the tournament than was expected. Some of that was unfortunate happenstance, but even still he got three really good looks in the tournament and delivered every single on every single night. Like I'm at the point right now, like it depends on what happens for the rest of March, but like Mark Davis is very much in contention for being wrestler of the month. <laughs> yeah. For keeping a strong style this month. Yeah, it's one of those situations where um, you, know, you get a, a blessing in disguise with injuries. Of course, we never want anybody to get hurt or be injured or wish injury on anybody. But anytime there is an injury in wrestling, that always opens up a door for somebody else to come through and, and be elevated and get a chance to shine. That's what we got here with uh, you know Osprey going out with a shoulder injury and, and Mark Davis coming in taking his spot. Uh, obviously, this wasn't planned. Uh, but again, we got these kind of you mentioned these great moments and these uh, great matches and um, standout moments here for for Mark Davis and kind of showing what he's made of. So definitely, you know, wasn't a planned surprise, but a definitely welcome surprise that made the tournament more interesting. Um, and as far as uh, you know, Fletcher, obviously Fletcher is great too. And I think yeah, both guys are, are can be stars, but also I think the money with them is um, as a tag team. Uh, next question with a heavenly halberd. He says, "Why do you think New Japan decided to go with this big Sonata push now, after previous attempts fizzled out?" Jay White's gone. Yeah, that's one reason. Suzuki Goon is broken up. That's another reason. There's a whole faction that has needed a, a, a marketable frontman. That's one reason, and. I guess I'm going to give away my spoiler right now. I think Sonata's winning the tournament, and I think Sonata's beating Kazushiko Okada at Sumo Hall for the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship. That's a reason. Yeah, I mean, that, that makes all sense. And, yeah, I guess kind of diving into it, I mean, the finals are in Sonata's hometown. And I, New Japan, they're, they're not WWE. They don't do the typical, we beat you in the hometown most of the time, guys are, are winning in their hometown. I mean, they, they have beaten people in their hometown before, but normally the hometown guy wins. And then plus, you know, going up against Okada, like we mentioned, we've, we've seen this before in 2019 where he came so close to beating Okada a couple times and, and lose. And so I don't think you want to retread that story. So if Sonata is winning, I think he does have to beat Okada. Because it's it's kind of boring and predictable if you just run back the same thing they did in 2019. Yeah, bro. I think that they're going to gear up just five guys as like I don't want to oversell it and say they're going to be the next big thing in the company. I don't. I'm not saying that, but they are all domestic stars. Mm -hmm. There has been this thing for so many years, especially with this show where we're like Sonata. When are you guys gonna shit or get off the pot with the guy? Mm -hmm. When it, you know, when is it gonna be his time? It's now or never. Well, now it actually really does feel like now or really literally never. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think it, I think this is it. I think this is his time. I think they heated him up and I think they're gonna go with him. Also, who knows? 
Um, maybe he signed a contract. That's always been like a sticking mm. point with the company and him. And yeah, the fact that he's like a freelance. Like, if if he signed, then there's every likelihood in the world. I mean, bro, look at the guy. Like, you know, I, I'm not the biggest Sonata fan in the world. I mean, you know, a lot of it comes down to what I describe as being laziness mm-hmm. and lack of motivation, and you know, but it's never been ability. It's never been talent. It's never been good looks or marketability we've said many times before like when this guy isn't wrestling and you see him in other avenues he looks like a star i don't know why that's not translating and then suddenly he comes out on this night and you're like holy fuck he is a star <laughs> what what has this guy been doing this whole time and i'm like maybe it's just mudoism i don't know but yeah. like i think that i think they're putting the title on him yeah, you, you i'm know- convinced of it and you you couldn't convince me otherwise i think that Anyone who thinks that David Finley is winning this tournament, I think you're going to be sorely mistaken. And you, you mentioned contract, which made me think about Kota Abushi. Abushi is gone, so another top guy uh, that that's gone. So you need another top yeah, I would, domestic. I, I star. knew there was someone else. I was trying to think of who it was, but like Jay White's gone, Abushi's gone. Yep. People have been asking us for you know a long while now who fills these spots. Well, I think they're telling you right now. Hmm. Uh, next question here from Stale Burger Bun: Have just five guys become your favorite faction yet? When weren't they my favorite? Faction? Dude, I, on, I, like, I think I, I like them less now. Of Sonata, I was more. I was <laughs> I was down with them when it was just four guys. I liked all four of those guys. Now Sonata's here. Better without Sonata too. Now Sonata's here. I'm like, mm, I don't know how I feel about this. You know who the real ones are? The real just four guy the real just four guy fans are the ones who are like, why the fuck isn't it Tai Chi? Exactly, yes. <laughs> Those of us who are like justice for Tai Chi. Those are the real just four guy fans. That's us. You know. I'm 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 sort of seeing this. I'm like, maybe there's maybe like maybe they're putting Sonata in place so Tai Chi can turn on <laughs> Boot him out. We were Boom always out. just for guys. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Uh, next question from Doctor Larry at the Dark. So, out of Finley and Sonata, who have both rebranded? Who feels like they have gone further? Because Sonata's become a prima donna heel, and Finley is Diet J White. Also, Sonata is the one guy who shaved and is a glow up. Uh, I don't know. Well. Hold on, Sonata is the one guy who shaved and it is glow. Oh yeah, you know I guess that's true. For most most people, they say that the beard is like makeup for men. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll tell you what, I don't look good with a beard. <laughs> I think I you, you, yeah, uh, bro, you, you gotta let it grow you lived, out, bro. I you lived with did, didn't we live together when I let it grow out? Well, you didn't you let it go all the way. I think you bro, you, you I, jumped I, too early. I let it grow. I let it grow a good <laughs> amount. It's just you have to understand. I'm Native American, okay. Mm. It's not gonna get any fuller than it already is. Like it, this is this what I have is what God has given me. It's not much. <laughs> uh. <laughs> so yeah, uh, he's right. But I don't know if I think he's a prima donna heel. I, I think he's a, a baby face, to be honest with you. Yeah, um, like you mentioned earlier, there was no you know heel split with Lij. It wasn't like he hit Naito with a chair or hit Shingo and Hiromu or. You know, turn his back in the middle of a tag match. It was a decision like, hey, 
I know I can't go further in LIJ, so I'm leaving and doing my own thing. He's not like, I'm sure these guys will have matches, but it's not like a, a blood feud that we're going to see between five guys in LIJ. I also wouldn't say that uh, Finley is diet Jay White. Um, I think his look is good. I think his gear is good. I think that the 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 new presentation is working really well. Mm-hmm. I think that um, he always, always, almost always fell so fucking flat when it came time for him to grab a mic and talk. He just did not. There was something missing, and dare I say, he just didn't have it. Well, whatever it was he was missing, he's got it now. This <laughs> yeah. guy can talk, and that's a huge asset to uh, New Japan. And make no mistakes about it, Jay White could talk too, but like, Jay, like, am I, do you think I'm kind of crazy in thinking that like Jay's promo abilities are kind of overblown a little bit by some segments of the fandom? Yeah, I think we've talked about it on the show before. It's just one of those situations where it's like, it's a Japanese promotion, so when you mm-hmm. have the one Westerner that's talking a lot, you're like, oh, wow, like, he's amazing at promos. And don't get me wrong, I do think Jay is really good at promos, but I do think, yeah, it was kind of elevated because, obviously, he's one of the only people that we can understand or what they're saying. <laughs> I don't even know if it's the fact that he's the only, you know, foreigner talking in a, you know, in a Japanese company. I just think that the style of promo in New Japan isn't necessarily expected to be delivered the way a Western promo is, you know, so he can get away with like the long form promo, the rambling sort of, you know, painting a picture, but like David Finley, he's more in line with what I would call right now. The kind of promos he's delivering are more in line with your classic Western good promos. Like he's like, I mean, he's basically like going out there being like, I'm from the greatest wrestling family known to man. I'm the greatest wrestler alive today. You know, mm-hmm. this is my destiny. I'm going to prove it to the world. Like, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, talk about how his dad couldn't lace up his own boots because his dad wasn't a world champion. He doesn't have shit to do with him. Like that, that stuff's good. Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm digging the Finley. I don't know. Yeah. I feel like Finley is short, sweet and to the point and gets That's it That's what over. I'm trying to say. Whereas Jay White would have tendencies to go Bray Whitish, where he just starts rambling, and you're like, "Bro, mm-hmm. what are you talking about?" Like, 20 minutes goes by, and like, what is the point? Like, who are you facing? What? Why are you upset? Like, <laughs> just just tell me why you're upset. Like, I don't need 20 minutes of your your lore, bro. You you summed it up better. That's what I was trying to get to. Is like he his the conciseness and the precision of his promo while being sharp biting and to the point he's 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 very good i don't know um i think that both of these guys with their new presentations it's gonna take a little bit of time for people to come around on them but i'll tell you what i mean i i know they've both been here longer and have more experience but i'm much higher on them right now than i am on shoto amino yeah i see more upside with both of them than him right now and Renderita. Yeah. To, for me, Finley kind of reminds me of authority Seth Rollins right now. Don't say that. That's not good. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I I was watching this with my girlfriend, though, and, like, uh, fucking, uh, 
Dave Finley comes out, and I was like, oh, yeah, he's the leader of the Bullet Club. And she's like, <laughs> like you know? <laughs> this but, guy. Then, but, then, but then she looks, she's like, wait a second. When did he get hot? And I was like, he nothing changed. He just has dark hair. Like, that is all <laughs> and that And a blonde changed. streak. <laughs> yeah, and a silver streak. She's like, I don't know. He looks hot now. And I was like, you you did the same thing when evil turned heel. Like, what is it? Is it just like you like due to dark hair or you just like heels? Like, and then I started thinking about myself and I was like, am I a heel? Is this why she likes me? Because I have dark hair? I don't know. (laughs) Uh, But apparently David Finley's hot now, mm. which he wasn't before, I guess, when he had the white (laughs) hair. Uh, Next question from UD Dojo. How high is new look Sonata's ceiling? Well, I just told you, I think he's going to win the title. Yeah, I might be wrong here, but I very rarely ever say, I think they're going with someone to win the belt. And the last time that I can ever remember them were like that there was a turn, a new Japan cup where I was like, they're going to win the title was fucking Okada. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which was like a no brainer. <laughs> it was like a no brainer. Yeah. I think that this is a no brainer. Cause like, I just, Okay, I guess we'll, we're we're here. Um, but like, if Finley wins the tournament, which he could, I don't think he should win the title. I just don't see. I mean, they could go that way, but like, it just now it feels like we are rehashing Bullet Club being back on top in a very short period of time. Like Okada just got the belt in January, so I don't know if I would, you know, want them to go back to a Bullet Club narrative so so soon yeah and i don't know if david finley is ready as a character to carry the title carry the company carry the strap all that sort of stuff well i think another thing to think about too is wrestling don taku is like the bullet club anniversary in may yeah so you could you have sonata win the tournament he beats okada for the belt and then you could run it back finley and sonata at don taku in the main event for the title yeah depending on the how what happens in the match if something happens in the match that would warrant a rematch for sure but like i think with sonata getting the new look and everything i just think he's gonna win the tournament and i feel like if you're gonna have him win the tournament he shouldn't lose another match for the title to okada otherwise now i will tell you this if he wins the tournament and he turns around, and I don't care how fucking good the match is. I don't care if they if they have an eight star match, Jeremy. You mark my words. That is booking malpractice, and Gato has lost his mind. They should not have Sonata. And I, I know there's probably some people listening, thinking like, I don't want Sonata to be champion. And I'm like, I hear you. I, I get those concerns. I, I feel you. <laughs> I feel you. But Sonata should not be winning the New Japan Cup and then losing to Okada. Because if that happens, we have wasted our whole entire month. We have wasted our time. Time is a flat circle. There's <laughs> no purpose to this. Yeah. And Sonata is a fucking loser. And he needs he needs to go home, go home. Like, be done. Send him to all Japan. <laughs> let him go wrestle Miyahara. We're done. That's it. Yeah. It's over. Cup put. If they're going to do Finito. that, they should just replay the 2019 New Japan Cup this month and, and giving us a month off. <laughs> No, what they need to do is on the night, on the big screen, just put the finals between him him and Okada and then just <laughs> leave it. 
We're not gonna even show you the. We're gonna we're gonna stream in the 2019 match. Thank you for buying tickets to Sumo Hall. Here is your main event. Look at the screen. You know what's funny is like I didn't think of any of this stuff that we're saying. Like this is all off the dome. Like we're always like just riffing. Like it's so fucking funny. Hilarious. Yeah, like if that happens, what is the point? What is the point of any of this at all? Yeah, you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. You cannot, you cannot convince me that if Sonata wins and then faces Okada and then loses that. There's any sort of um, oh well he'll get his shot down the road or oh they're just warming him up or no. oh no it's he's, done he's, bro. he's goto it's, he's goto if he loses he's goto he's goto goto like he's worse than goto yeah <laughs> so <laughs> so yeah no they can't do that and if if they do like I don't know man some of that energy that people were bringing to us a few months ago about the uh, you know, Osprey Omega outcome needs to be applied here, you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because that's real booking malpractice. That's, you know, it's horrible. That would be horrible. So yeah. come on, this is not, you know, this is not pro wrestling. Noah, this is new Japan pro wrestling. We can't be having those kinds of booking decisions going on in this company. So, yeah. so yeah, you know, it? it's kind of, I guess there's a few different things you could be hoping for. If you're a bull club fan or you're an Okada fan, you hope for Finley to win. But if you're, you know, someone that's optimistic and likes LIJ or likes Sonata or likes, you know, just five guys or whatever, then you probably want Sonata to win. But my God, if they have Sonata win the tournament and then drop another title challenge, I swear to God. <laughs> that would be one of the, that'd be on the short list of things that, of uh, booking decisions that they've ever made that would make me really question. The validity of what we're doing with this podcast <laughs> i swear to god oh man uh because time. bro can, can you imagine like why bro I, it, it, i'll it, be it, out it, it i'm not be, even it'd be a waste of time like if if you're gonna redo the whole 2019 thing why have him leave lij why give him a push like let's have it be same old sonata but you went out of your way to make him shave the beard get rid of his beard get he rid of <laughs> it's his comfort beard get rid of the dye like go back to the natural look you have this man looking like a million bucks like now is the time um you know if you're gonna go through all this hassle giving him the push giving him his own stable then go all the way with him you know let me put it to you this way jeremy okay it's not a perfect comparison but this is it's enough of a good comparison as it pertains to me. I'm not a Roman Reigns fan. You know, it, it, it is what it is. I, I'm not a big fan of watching him wrestle, whatever. You don't acknowledge the tribal chief? <laughs> I do. I acknowledge him. <laughs> um, but when he wrestled Brock Lesnar for the second time in the main event of WrestleMania in New Orleans, that was literally the event that made me stop. All really of us. Pay- Pretty much all of us, yeah. But, like, that was the event that, like, and there was a lot of things that happened on that show that really pissed me off and angered me, especially how shitty that match between AJ Styles and Shinsuke Nakamura was. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, we went to New Orleans. We didn't go to WrestleMania, but we went to New Orleans, and we were holed up in an Airbnb with a bunch of our pals, and we were so stoked for that event. But the thing that really turned me off 
and made me be like, I don't think I should watch this show anymore, was when they let Brock Lesnar bust Roman Reigns to the white meat with his bare elbows and give him CTE concussions and let him bleed out like a stuffed pig and then beat him. lose <laughs> the fucking match. They beat him. And they beat him. And he's the ace of the company. And this is something they would have never in a million years done to Hulk Hogan or Stone Cold Steve Austin or The Rock or Bruno San Martino or Bret Hart or you name it. They had never mistreated a top guy in that company like that ever before. And sure, they rehabbed him. Let's see how many years it took. But like at that time, I was like, dude, I don't even like this guy. But the way this booking, I can't handle this. This is bad. Yeah, that was what, 2018? Yeah, 2018. Yeah, it was 2018, WrestleMania weekend. And now it's, you know, 2022, 2023. He's finally rehabbed now. But yeah, that was a really bad booking decision. It really made your top baby face look bad. And uh, it made the company look bad. Yeah. And I know a lot of people forgot about it, but I've never forgotten about it. I'm not saying Sonata's Roman Reigns. But it does apply in the in the sense that I'm not really a Sonata fan. The same way I wasn't really a Roman Reigns fan. But there are times where you know what the right call is. And if he wins the tournament, now if he doesn't win the tournament, this whole rant's for nothing. Just forget about it. Move on. But if he wins the tournament and he's in Sumo Hall against Okada, he better not fucking lose. Because if he does lose... I'm not going to be angry with Okada. I'm not going to be angry with Sonata. I'm going to be looking at Ghetto. I'm going to be looking at Dick Uchi Togo. Road <laughs> Kikuchi. And Dick Togo and, and the associate. And I'll be wondering what the fuck is going on and what are we doing it for? What is this for? Like, maybe maybe Kota Ibushi had a point. Maybe mm. Carl Fredericks had a point. <laughs> yeah, we might. Uh, <laughs> we might have to turn this into keeping it triangle style once uh, the. The Ibushi, uh, what's his? The Ibushi Institute. <laughs> yeah, the Ibushi Institute uh, opens up. We might have to start following that instead. <laughs> the real strong style. Oh my gosh. Uh, okay, okay, 890. Uh, Ask a few questions here. Do you think Taichi is going to take the backseat to Sonata for just secure Genesis, or has he been permanently moved to number two guy spot again? I mean, who's hotter? Well, I think it has to be Sonata. It's a very simple question. This is a this is a fan service promotion. They like to push <laughs> hot guys. That's what this is. You know, I was asked by a friend of the show just this past week, and they're like, "Why the fuck can't Taichi be the guy? Why is it got to be Sonata?" And I was like, "People want to fuck Sonata. That's why. Like, he's hot. That's why." <laughs> uh, also asked, "Do you think Sonata's spot in Lij will be filled, or will Lij be a man down for the foreseeable future?" Well, there is some valuable heavyweight real estate there now that there's no evil and that there's no Sonata. If you did want to bring in uh, like a younger developing talent, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't know who that might be, but let's say, for instance, uh, Suji, you bring Mm -hmm. Suji back in. I think he could fit into that group very well and be, you know, like a powerhouse sort of guy that eats pinfalls and is developing kind of like how evil was for years. Right. And we, we know Suji, Suji loves Lucha Libre and he got to go to Mexico for a little bit. He really wants to do that style. So that would kind of fit into that 
Los Ingobernables kind of pareja kind of style. Yeah, and, and now it's a little different because Shingo came in and kind of usurped. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he kind of jacked those two dudes uh, their spot and took over. And he even for a minute there was taking some of the thunder away from Naito. Yeah. You don't got to worry about that anymore. You know, you bring in a, a Suji or somebody else and, like, they're going to fall right in line. So I yeah. think that there is some space there. You know, you know what was a straw that broke the camel's back of Sonata? What? Was Teton. <laughs> <laughs> How do you figure? Teton came in. He's like, nah, I've had enough of this. A, a guy is coming here trying to be more flashy than me, getting over getting over faster than me. I, I, I'm I, done. I can't have this. He, yeah, that was the one thing he was like, at least I'm still the flashy guy. He's like, you know, Bushi's the mask guy. Hiromu's like the wild junior, you know. Shingo is the powerhouse, you know, strong style guy. Naito's the star, but I'm the Flash. And then they brought in Teton. He's like, damn it. <laughs> and like, we didn't even like have a group discussion. Like, we just kind of let him in, like, randomly at the end of a show. Like, you guys didn't even ask me. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, you said yes. I was put on the spot. Everyone else said yes. What was I going to do? Say no? <laughs> I would look dumb if I didn't put my fist up. <laughs> You guys put your fist up. I had to put my fist up too, otherwise I'd look like an idiot. <laughs> oh man. Uh, okay, okay. Eight ninety's last question here. Do you think the New Japan Cup being unpredictable in the early rounds made the later rounds too predictable? Not for me. It's been hard for me to predict this whole fucking tournament. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of uh, things that were really just kind of. Up in the air, and especially like Will Ospreay's injury, and you had Mark Davis coming in there, and then it looked like they were potentially going Sonata Evil, and so there was a lot of questions. We didn't know Sonata was going to leave LIJ and get this push, so it was kind of hard to say, like, oh, Sonata's definitely going to be in the finals. Like, Finley, I think we all kind of guessed because of the whole kicking Jay out and joining Bullet Club, but then with Sonata, we had no idea until, you know, he turned that, all right, now this makes sense that he's, he's going to the finals. Well, I feel like we did a good job. Kind, of, I mean, we were circling around the idea. We didn't land on it, but we were like, it feels like this side or this part of the bracket's going to be about Sonata. We just didn't know the context, you know? We didn't procrastinate. I always say that word wrong. We did not get it right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So let's move on now and talk about the, the final show. I know we talked about the main event already, but we have the full card for night 12, March 21st, the final night of the tournament. Um, so show open up with Hiroshi Tanahashi and Yuto Nakashima versus Doki and Taichi of just five guys. We'll have Oiwa and Umino versus TMDK's Kosei Vegeta and Zack Sabre Jr. Tama Tonga, Tomioka Hanma, and Tomohiro Ishii will take on Bullet Club's Chase Owens, El Phantasmo, and Kenta. House of Torture, Dick Togo, Eel Show, and Yujiro Takahashi will take on Strong Styles, Desperado, and Renarita, along with Taguchi and Toriyano. We'll have the LIJ team of Shingo and Naito taking on the United Empire team of Aaron Hanare and Great Okan. So they're setting up that uh, KOPW feud there between Shingo and Aaron Hanare. Then we'll have the Chaos team of Hiroki Goto, Kazuchika Okada, and Yoshihashi taking on United Empire's Jeff Cobb. And Aussie Open, so it seems like they're going to set up the the Aussie Open Bishamon feud with that matchup there. Well, and before we get to these uh, the top two matches, because I think we want to discuss those. Uh, great job on the rundown here, Jeremy. There's a couple things that we should probably touch base on. So, um, just kind of looking, 
you know, these first six matches, this is pretty much like a big preview show. Um, a lot of multi-man uh, tags on the undercard here. So it's kind of similar to like a, like a C or a B minus level, like pay-per-view show for new Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, we're definitely getting a lot of previews here. It, I think it is interesting that we got Tanahashi teaming with a lion in the opening match against Doki and Taichi. That's not usually where you would see a Tanahashi slotted on a show like this. Yeah. That's almost like a dad role there. Yeah. I'm wondering um, what will come out of that. If there's something that's going to move forward with him and Taichi. Um, since they're kind of slotted against each other. Very interesting. Um, second match of the night, obviously, Umino is on the opposite side of Zack Sabre Jr., so I think we're probably going to get the official announcement and preview for a future TV title match between those two, for sure. Yeah, for probably Secure Genesis. Are we wondering for the third match of the night, since we have the never openweight champion Tamatonga there, are any of these individuals here you know, in line for a potential never title shot. And is it interesting that Kenta is in this match and he's not opposite uh, strong style on the next match? Because we do know that he has an ongoing feud with uh, Minoru Suzuki. Yeah, that is a little bit weird. I don't, and Suzuki's not even on this card, it looks like. So I don't know what the deal is there. Um, but probably, then if he's not on the card, he'll probably... I mean, I guess we're just kind of fantasy booking here, but... I don't think it would be outlandish to think that he maybe makes his way out to the ring post match and attacks makes Kenta. the official challenge. Yeah, well, the, the match is already official. Um, it's booked. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so maybe he, he attacks Kenta to do another angle. Um, but yeah, as far as potential never challengers, I mean, Tam was already beaten ELP, so I don't think they right. would go back there. Um, Kenta is the, the strong open weight champion, has this program with Suzuki, so that would leave Chase Owens as the only really potential guy to be the challenger. Unless uh, something happens with him and, uh, say, like Ishii or something like that, being partners, uh, of course there's always the option that post-match an outside challenge pops up that we're not really thinking of. That's always possible, too. Yeah. Very interesting. Um and then um, you brought up the thing with Aaron Hanari and Shingo. Did you, are you aware that they already set the stipulation for that match and everything? Did you see that on the undercard? Uh, I remember Hanari like cut a promo saying what he wanted, but I didn't know if it was the, the official IWGP officials made it official. So he cut a promo on Shingo, basically saying that because I beat you the last two times, I want a shot and I want to set the stipulation. And Shingo said yes. And later on the broadcast, they said that. Uh, Hanari went to Twitter and made it official that his stipulation is going to be a bare knuckle um, Muay Thai street fight knockout only. So essentially, I think it's just a street Last fight. Last man standing. A, yeah. Well, no, it's only knockout. So I don't know if it's going to be like last man standing rules where they do the counts. Mm-hmm. I could also see where it's just like the person's out and they like check their, their, their hand and they're just fucking out. You know what I mean? Yeah. But um, I don't know. I'm not sure if I'm going to be a big fan of that because I don't know if I've loved Shingo in these other non-wrestling stipulations. Yeah, type. Let's, let's stick with the pro wrestling for Shingo. <laughs> <laughs> there, I definitely like that stipulation, although I don't know why. What the fuck is a Muay Thai street fight? I've seen Muay Thai. I've never seen a Muay Thai street fight. Like, what the fuck is that? It's, it's going to be like um, Sagat in Street Fighter. 
or you know, it's I think it's like when um when we thought filthy a filthy rules fight was gonna be like a blood sport match and it's like, nah, we're gonna bring out ladders and chairs. <laughs> so apparently that's happening. And then yeah, the sixth match of the night, they seem to be um previewing Kyle Fletcher and Mark Davis as being the next challengers for the uh uh Bishamon's title. So we got even though it is a preview show, there's a lot of good stuff that's probably being built up for Sakura Genesis. And I think we're seeing that card kind of get formulated on the undercard here, which is good. Yeah, that's also that's in Sumo Hall. That's gonna be a big show. You want to have some big matches on that card. So I definitely understand why they're saving the tag title match, the TV title match, the never title match for Sakura Genesis. I think that upgrades this show basically because we're looking and we're seeing how many uh matches are gonna have implications move forward. This probably elevates it to more of like a B level show. Yeah. Yeah. But um the semi-main event here, we've got Hiromu Takahashi defending his IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship against the challenger, Leo Rush of Chaos. There was a press conference. Uh was that today? Yeah, the press conference was today. I watched it today, uh, between the two of them as well as uh the uh, finalists for the New Japan Cup, Sonata and David Finley. Um, what are we thinking about this match and, and this feud and, uh, you know, everything moving forward? Yeah, this feud's been uh, pretty interesting so far. They've done a lot of work on the undercard of these New Japan Cup shows and uh, been some really good interactions between Leo Rush and Hiromu in the ring. Uh, the press conference was uh, a little bit weird. Um, just, I don't know. I feel like Leo Rush is cutting very, like, WWE-style promos in, in these press conferences, which I guess is fine, but I don't know. The dynamic there. Some of the stuff he was saying was just kind of a little bit off. Uh, Here, here's the problem, Jeremy. You you were clued in on how to watch these press conferences like a pro, such as myself, okay? this is This is why it's coming off weird to you. They're not putting the English commentary or captions or even translations live for the press conference anymore. They used to do that. Yeah. And they got away from it. So you're able to hear what he's saying, but you can't hear what Hiromu's saying. But I clued you in off the air, but moving forward, this is what I've been doing. I go to NJPW1972.com, I go to the news, and they actually have the captions in a little uh, article. So if you pull up the article... I know this is a lot of work and you shouldn't have to do this <laughs> to watch a fucking press conference, but this is what you got to do. You, you throw on your gimmick, you throw on the press conference, you pull up your comments, and then you, you line them up at the same time. You listen <laughs> and you read and you listen and, you, and you're like, okay, I know what's happening. And once that happens, it brings a whole new life to the press conference. And so I did listen to it and I, I understand what was going on. Basically, Hiromu... And this was a story they've been telling on the undercard, which, by the way, every night the uh, undercard, uh, the, the the main event of the quote-unquote undercard for all these New Japan Cup uh, shows, all tour, have basically been an LIJ versus Chaos match tag mm -hmm. team featuring Hiromu and, and um, Leo Rush on opposite sides. And every single time these guys have been opposite one another, they've had really fantastic interactions and has made me uh, pretty optimistic about what we're going to see here for this match. But the big story has been Leo Rush's speed and Hiromu's inability to keep up with him. 
Yeah. And Hiromu brought this up during the press conference where he was like, you know, I knew how fast Leo was, and that caused me to, to commit before I went on this tour to a diet so I could shore up my speed and keep up with him. But the problem is after the first night I was in the ring with him, he was so fast, I started getting stressed out. I started eating my feelings. <laughs> He's like, and unfortunately, I've actually gained weight on this tour. So this is going to be a match where I know I won't be able to keep up with him in speed. So I'm going to have to utilize my power to, to take him out of his element. And that's been the dynamic. You have Leo Rush, super fast, super precise. And then you have crazy man, Hiromu, with the power advantage. And that's the dynamics that are going on between them. Then he called Leo Rush a, a Komodo dragon. He's been doing that on the post. I haven't watched any of them, but I, I gathered that he's been calling him a Komodo dragon uh, all throughout the, the post-match comments every night, which I don't really know why. I That feels quasi-racist for some weird <laughs> reason. <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> but... um. You know, Komodo dragons are, like, one of the most... Have you ever, like, seen them hunt animals? Like, they're fucking disgusting. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, it actually is kind of a, kind of a raw, nick like, nickname. Uh, I don't know if it fits Leo Rush or not, but, like, you know, Komodo dragon has, like, one of the strongest bites and, like, one of the most poisonous bites of any animal in the animal kingdom. And, like, they'll bite something, poison it, and then just wait till it dies and then even before it dies, they'll actually start swallowing it while it's like still quasi like dying, you know, <laughs> dying and alive and shit. They're, they're kind of disgusting creatures. So yeah, I don't know what the deal is there, but they, they had a lot of heat because Hiromu loves Leo Rush's suit. Leo Rush thinks that Hiromu's a buffoon and uh, he is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's like, why is your suit so ridiculous? <laughs> Yeah, and he was like, why is your suit so fly? (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, but, you know, to add a little bit more intrigue to the match, commentary, Kevin Kelly's been doing a great job, and he was like, you know, the last time there was a U.S. champion that held the title was Loki in, like, 2011. It's been a very long time. Yeah, over 10 years since uh, American, and you kind of don't think about it because, you know, obviously we've had foreigners, but, you know, Prince Devitt, Irish, Kenny Omega, Canadian, Dragon Lee, Mexican. Like, you, you, you don't really think, like, oh, wow. Oh, fuck all those countries. It's about the United States, <laughs> USA, USA. Uh, so, yeah, so, yeah, Leo Rush has a chance. Yeah, first guy in over 10 years, first uh, American to become IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champion. And at the same time, Hiromu's on a quest to set the all-time uh, junior defense record, which I think is like 12 defenses. He, so he said he wants 50 this year. 50, okay. Uh, <laughs> that's, what, that's, what he, that's what he wants <laughs> to do, 50 in, in a year. Um, you know, and the other thing too is like Leo Rush, I, one thing I did like about the press conference was he, it almost had like a an MMA boxing sort of fight feel where he was like, you've never faced a challenge like me in your entire career. Like you're, you know, you're great. But I'm the greatest, and I'm going to show you why I'm so great. And I was mm-hmm. like, that's, that's good. I like that. And they're going to have a great match. Um, I feel pretty confident Hiromu is going to retain. Mm-hmm. Just because I do think that they... Uh, I think he's going to go into the best Super Juniors as champion. And I I kind of get the feeling that they... I know that like maybe I'm a... 
buying into something that wasn't even explicitly booked out or like you know promised to us but i do think that like the one thing that hiromu has left to do is have a very substantial title run and kind of set a record and they haven't done that with him and i feel like that that's what needs to happen next although it is the junior title and if leo rush a guy who i think that the company's high on if they want to uh strap him up and and kind of give him a push and kind of solidify their relationship with him i i wouldn't be surprised by that at all yeah i think it'd be a, a very fresh booking decision that opens the doors for a lot of possibilities if you do leo rush as champion a lot of fresh matchups i think it'd be more intriguing but i do think the safe bet would be to go with hiromu takahashi and like you mentioned you know for a lot of the modern guys, you know, you look at Okada, he's breaking records as a heavyweight. He's kind of the, the ace right now. So if Hiromu, you know, he's the ace of the junior division. He has the, the multiple reigns. He has the multiple super junior wins. But, yeah, I think you to so really cement his legacy as one of the, the top juniors of this era, you want to give him a, this long title reign where he's breaking the defense record. So uh, I can see them easily going with Hiromu, but I do think the the more fun option would be to go with the the man of the hour, Leo Rush. Which then, uh, what what what's your official prediction? Uh, my official prediction: I'm going to go with Hiromu Takahashi getting the win in a very back and forth competitive match. I got Hiromu as well, um, and I think it'll be interesting uh, to see what where they go with Leo Rush in the fallout. And I'd, I'd sort of expect another challenger to come out and challenge Hiromu once this match is over. Yeah, because, I mean, uh, so Kurt Jansen is right around the corner, so I'm sure you'll want to book a junior match for that. So, mm-hmm. so then the the main event of this show, like we've been talking about, the, the finals of the 2023 New Japan Cup, Sonata versus David Finley. I think we've kind of talked a lot about the match and the scenarios. So I guess from the final prediction here, I got Sonata. The one thing I will say as far as the in-ring goes, the the only thing that's ever caused me pause as it pertains to these two guys being the finalists is like, I think we, we saw it and week after week we're like, it could be Sonata Finley. Mm-hmm. But the fact that neither of them have really truly been top, tip top headline guys that the company time and time again goes with, you know, that they would be trusted to be put in a big headlining spot on a night like this seemed a little bit far-fetched and maybe like we were getting too deep in the weeds as it comes to like fantasy booking you know but here we are and they're doing it and both guys have been given makeovers and they're giving them ever every opportunity and for a company that is always kind of pigeonholed as being same old same old and too uh you know slow to move on people and to you know, pull the gun on pushes. They're really investing and going full fledged with both guys and giving them a real opportunity. So um, this could either be a great match or it could really be a flat match because both guys have a propensity to do either one of those two things. And I'm hoping that magic strikes here and, they come in fully focused with their game faces on. I'm sure they will, and knock it out of the park. But I think, I think um, you know, tomorrow night it's not. Or tomorrow morning it's not as morning. Yeah, and I just want to lay out a case for David Finley, even though I'm pretty much going with Sonata now. 
for feeling. Like, d- did you feel this way before you talked to me? Honestly, I didn't know. I was kind of very stuck in the middle. Like, I, I was kind of seeing cases for both guys, but mm-hmm. more when I think about it, like you mentioned the main events and the clean shape and just all the signs of Tanada does seem a little bit stronger than Finley. But Tanada do- is a more proven long-term commodity right finley even if recently he hasn't been utilized in that way during like the g1s in the past he's been a guy that they've like gone with and and headline shows with and and used in that manner yeah but there's two things that kind of were making me think about finley one thing he mentioned in the press conference today he made it a fact to put over that he won all his matches clean which makes me think he's going to try shenanigans in this match because he's set the ex- mm. expectations up that he's been winning clean, trash panda, no interference, no shenanigans. I think we're going to see some kind of interference or shenanigans in this matchup because of that fact. And then also the second thing, it is in Sonata's hometown. So if you if you want to get heat for Finley, you, you go the, the WWE route and you have David Finley beat this man in his hometown and get all the heat in the world, um, beating uh, Sonata in his hometown and moving on to face Okada after that. I mean, yes, I think that that's very plausible. And even though I'm convinced that Sonata is going to win and (laughs) move on to win the title, which I might look like a total fool, just within 24 hours from now or or even (laughs) less when I'm watching the show tomorrow. Um, I do think it's, I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that David Finley could win. I just, I'm not bought in that if David wins, he turns around and wins the title a la evil. I don't see that personally. I could be wrong, but yeah, you're, you're right. I mean, if you, if you weren't ready to pull the trigger on Sonata and you didn't want to put him in a losing situation. I think the guy that could potentially handle Nokata loss better and get over and, and be more established as a top player, top star on that stage, David Finley is your guy that you would want to go with. And I think there is a valid argument for it. I just think the company to me has shown so much more faith in Sonata on all these shows, putting him in headlining spots, right, putting yeah. him on the bigger shows mm-hmm. and everything that that tells me. And then the the big makeover at the end, I think they're going with him. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna go with Sonata here as my my prediction. Um, yeah, I think it's time that you know they go with him, gets a couple win, and then goes on to face Okada. Here's the other thing too: is like okay, maybe hypothetically, maybe they have a long term story in play for Bullet Club, right? We've heard that a million times before. But to me, this whole thing with ELP and and David Finley, I think it's more it's stronger if David fails. <clears throat> yeah, because the ELP is like, oh, why do I need to listen to you? Like you you failed also. Yeah, if if it now, because if David won the tournament and won the gold, then he's kind of got you know, an ace in the hole over ELP, and he's probably going to get the alignment from the other members, especially like Liber Lucci and <laughs> Caveman you know, Ugg. Caveman Ugg, the real, you know, the really important members of Bullet Club. <laughs> <laughs> I always bring up Liber Lucci because no one knows who he is. It's just funny. <laughs> I actually like Liber Lucci, but uh, 
you know, I, I think if he fails, then there's more animosity. And then the question is, who is the real leader is a lot more up for debate. Right. Yeah. And there's a more intriguing story there. Yeah. It's not to say you couldn't do, you, you could still do that story later on. I mean, you know, but it's got more impact to be done now mm-hmm. if he fails, which is what I think is happening. I could be wrong, but yeah. that's where I think it's heading. Uh, several questions here. Uh, first from Rambo and Slam Pigs. I'm going to take a victory lap for predicting the finals of the New Japan Cup this year. With that said, I am happy to see some character progression and shakeup, but not really overly thrilled at the matchup from an in-ring work rate perspective. How do you guys feel? And I think we just uh, touched on that um, a little bit. And I don't know. I, I'm not confident that these guys are, are going to go out there and have this blow away matchup. I mean, I, I hope they do. Like you were saying, I hope, you know, that the magic happens on this night. Both guys realize the opportunity they have. And I do hope it's a great, you know, in-ring work rate matchup. And it's a notebook match and a, and a match of the month contender, even a match of the year contender. Um, but I'm not fully confident in that. And I do think this whole tournament has been really about, you know, stories and getting people over and not really about great matches. So I could see this match end up being a more character play, like I was saying, more interference from both factions and really getting over these new characters than these guys going out here and trying to have a five-star match. Most of Sonata's really top-end matches, which to me, there they're, are a lot less than people would imagine based off of his reputation. Because the thing about him is he is a top-notch worker, but only to a certain level. Once you start getting into that classic match-type territory, it's few and far between as it pertains to Sonata. You know, mm-hmm. Most of his great matches are going to be ones that like either Okada or Kenny Omega or Kota Ibushi, or Tomohiro Ishii guided him through. And we're talking about four or five of the greatest talents in the history of the business. You know, um, there's there's never been a time where you put him in there with, like, say, another good worker, but maybe not, like, an all-time great, like, like let's say a Juice Robinson or a Jay White or something like that, where they had, like, a stellar match. That just never happens with Sonata. So... You know, if he does go in there with um, David Finley, and David Finley has really improved and really risen his stock over the past Mm -hmm. couple years, especially since last G1, I'm not saying they can't have a a blow-away match. It's just history would tell us, based on Sonata's, um, you know, track record, that it's not likely to to be a top-end match. You know, it might be a very good match, but not top-end. Then again... If they're motivated enough and, and it's laid out well, you never know. I, I This is really a big mystery bag of a match. I don't know what to expect because both guys are moving into new phases of their career and it's sort of um, they're in different trajectories. And we don't know what to expect here. And that's kind of the intrigue, which is kind of cool because it's not just all about the match quality. But I, I don't want to sacrifice the match quality. For stories, I want to. We can have both, you right? Know? Yeah. the The best case scenario is we get the Sonata from the Tai Chi match versus the Finley from the Ishi match. 
that that that's the best case scenario there. That's a great scenario. <laughs> if that happens, we're gonna have a great matchup. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm all for that. Uh, Def Triangle 720 asks, "How do you guys feel about the final participants, and who do you think needs the win more?" That's the tough thing. I think they both kind of do need the win. Right. I am wondering about if David Finley loses, do I think it could potentially hurt uh, what's going on with him in Bullet Club? A little bit, I think it could, but I think that he can rebound from it and be fine. Mm-hmm. And I think especially since there's probably a hot program with him and ELP down the pipeline, that gives me optimism to think they've got something planned for him, you know? Mm-hmm. But uh, I think if Sonata eats the loss, then just five guys is really just five guys. Jazz. Even if he's like the top <laughs> five guy, he, he's not a top guy. He's just the top guy in just, just a five guy. guys. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, Sonata has kind of been in this position before. So I think he needs it more than Finley, a little bit more than Finley. Whereas Finley, this is kind of a new territory for Finley. And like you said, I think Finley can easily be rehabbed as they continue this new character push. But, yeah, I think Sonata really needs it here. Um, next question, he says, do you think now is the time to have Okada lose a belt with his recent character development? I didn't think it was, but since they're going with – since I think they're going with Sonata, I think it's the time for him to probably drop the belt, and I think he'll be fine. Yeah, and I think you could still have Okada being this kind of grumpy – Final boss without the belt and losing the belt could piss him off even more than he than he already is right now. Uh, Let's commission seven two five two. It's not even hotter than he was when he first got into the company. In the unspoken words of Kel- Kevin Kelly, "OMG, he's hot. Please stop." <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. He was, this is a good looking guy. He uh, you know when he first got in the company, like he was smoltering. So I don't know. It's, not not it's to be confused with the just look. Good looking guys in Pro Wrestling Noah. What are they called? Aren't they like just or good looking guys? They're the GLG good yeah, looking guys. Yeah, I don't think there's a just. Okay. The I heard that the blonde wrestler that I like from uh, Tadasuke. Uh, Tadasuke, he's one of the GLGs. <laughs> oh, he left. Well, then he he was in uh, Congo, wasn't he? Yeah, fuck Congo. He's <laughs> GLG for life. <laughs> um. His next question, what do you guys think about this year's semifinals and final competitors? A new turning point for Sonata and David Finley. David being the unpredictable man heading so far into the tournament and Tama getting his shine as a main eventer. I think that if, I mean, that's a, there, there's a lot there. We've been discussing this for several weeks now, so I don't want to wax poetic for too long. Plus, we're pushing up against time. But yeah, if this wasn't going to be a tournament that had nothing but bangers and blow away matches... These surprises and fresh turns of events and new pushes have been pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, I've been really happy with how the tournaments uh, turned out so far and just some really different uh, scenarios. Also asked, are you guys happy with how New Japan changed up this year's finals by pushing a guy that they're already building up as a main eventer in David Finley and a guy that they're rebuilding as a main eventer in Sonata? Yes. Yeah. Uh, Hawaiian Punch BV, it looks like Sunday was a good night for a couple of just good-looking guys. Do you think Sonata can actually win New Japan Cup this time around? Do you think Kiyomiya losing his title to someone who recently made their Noah debut freedom up to get his ass whipped again by Okada in Dominion? 
With Jake Lee seemingly still having dreams of competing in NJPW, do you think he'd be able to complete the trifecta? Oh, great question. Um, yes, I think Sonata's winning the title. The Kiyomiya thing, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I mean, that's one way of looking at it, him dropping the title. You know, does that mean he's going to come back and fight Okada? I don't know. Uh, well, who I mean, knows what the fuck goes on with Noah? Right, <laughs> but I mean, if, if Okada drops a belt to Sonata, then you could have Kiyomiya come in. He beats Okada, non-title, no... <laughs> I don't think he's being Okada. Like, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> I'm just saying, it's more likely with Okada not as champion. Also, let me just tell you one thing. Jake Lee should not be the GHC champion. And Jake Lee will never win the IWGP title. And the rock means never. <laughs> and the young boy means never. <laughs> uh, oh, man. Yeah, oh, Jake Lee. Say, bro, like, when we were out, we went out to um, karaoke a few nights ago, and, like, James was there, and uh, there was a, a few songs where, like, they were saying, like, yeah, mm-hmm. and, like, so just to pop James, I was like, yeah! <laughs> Let me talk to him. Yeah! <laughs> Nobody else knew what I was doing, because it. it was all non-wrestling fans. James just shaking his head laughing. It's hilarious. <laughs> Oh, man. So uh, let's uh, move on to the news. All right. So AEW and New Japan Global will join forces once again to present Forbidden Door 2 live on pay-per-view at the Scotiabank Arena in Toronto, Ontario on Sunday, June 25th. It's not called Forbidden Door 2, but I'm calling it Forbidden Door 2. Uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling has officially announced this year's Best of the Super Juniors, the promotion revealed on Friday show from Cork and Hall. That the tournament will run from May 12th to May 28th. An intense schedule will see 12 events over 16 days. Fuck us, right? <laughs> As of right now, Mercedes Monet has no dates left with Bushi Road after the April 23rd Yokohama Arena show. Unless that changes, logic would say she'll be dropping the IWGB title to Mayu Iwatani at that show. Uh, okay, what's the point of putting the bell on her? She's gonna drop in her first defense. That's cool. No, well, she's gonna face uh, Azumi oh. as a Kira Genesis first. And AMZ, yes. Yeah. A M Z. Yeah. Three matches are have been made official for Capital Collision: Juice Robinson versus Fred Rosser, Team Rocky, Rocky Romero, Tomohiro Ishii, the DKC, Leo Rush, and Clark Connors taking on Team Volador, Volador Junior, Speedball, Mike Bailey, Gabe Kidd, Kevin Knight, and Kushida. And uh, this past week, it was announced the Great Muda is going into the WWE Hall of Fame. One last thing that's not here, but Jeremy, did you see that good friend of the show, Rocky Romero, lost an Espuetas match against uh, Volador Jr., and he did get his head shaved? I did not see that, but I did notice that's, you know, Rocky was kind of growing the hair out, so now we know why. Well, he's not growing out anymore. Oh, yeah, or I that, guess he's gonna have to restart because, uh, yeah, he got his head shaved in Arena Mexico. Lost, lost the do. So, yeah, nice. I'll have to and, check uh, that out. Let's kick it over to the questions. Yeah. So, uh, MJS PR says, "What grade would you give Gato's booking this year? Highlights and lowlights." Uh, I'd say a B. Uh, I think there's been some. Um, some pretty exciting things that have happened. I don't know if I want to go with highlights and lowlights, but uh, I, there's been some stuff that's been kind of questionable. Um, you know, what the fuck's going on with the U.S. title, for instance. <laughs> yeah. A couple other things. 
Yeah, I, I agree. I, I go with B because I feel like towards the end of last year, kind of coming into this year, it felt like we got like a fresh uh, uh, breath, uh, breath of fresh air in the booking room. They were doing some different changes. We we're seeing some new guys come in, some guys come back from excursion. And so I think overall things are going good right now. But like you're mentioning, there are some things like, yeah, what's going on? With the, you know, the U.S. program, what's going on with you know these young lions? Like, why aren't they getting pushed? How long does Shingo need to hold the KOPW title? Like, can we get that shit off him? Like, what's going on? Right, what's going on with all the LA Dojo guys? Like, what's going on with Filthy Tom and all those? Like, yep. there's there's a lot of question marks, but overall things are still going good. Women? <laughs> no, I'm just joking. Uh, Death Triangle Seven Twenty. Where do you think? Kenny versus Cobb will happen. Uh, unfortunately, it sounds like it's going to be happening at uh, Forbidden Door, but I, I was hoping it would have happened way before that. Well, I mean, they could. I mean, I don't know what Kenny's doing April 8th. You could do it at Secure Genesis. You could do it at Dontaku. There's, there's shows at they made, Dominion. But they've made it sound like it was going to happen in the States. and you know That's true, yeah. Cobb said he's going to come to Omega. Right, and it's like, well... Are they going to do it on Dynamite? Doesn't seem like it, you know. Unless yeah, they they could, or they could do it a double or nothing, which then bills to the next the June pay per view. They could. Yep. Um, Death Triangle Seven Twenty. I think we kind of answered this. How do you feel about the booking decisions of New Japan so far in twenty twenty three? I I I applaud them for some of the fresh new ideas that they're going with, which are things we've been asking for for a long time, at the very least. Yeah, I, I think it's very good. I don't think it's fully great yet. Uh, next question from Ethnic Dystopian. Have you noticed that the legacy has become a stronger theme in New Japan canon? Umino has a few mentors to his name and is covered in other people's gimmicks. Zack is mentor, mentoring Vegeta. Narita is the son of Strong Style. ELP still calls Shingo Daddy. And Finley continues to mention his lineage. Why now, and what do you think it means? I think this has always been a thing with New Japan. I think there are, are quite a few things that you've pointed out that are uh, happening simultaneously all at one time. So maybe you do have a point here, but I don't know. This is a company that, since we've been covering it, we've always mentioned how they stick to kayfabe and they keep long-running uh, storylines within the company and even outside of the company's kayfabe carried over from other groups. So I don't think that this is new at all. I think this has kind of been the MO for as long as Ghetto's been in charge of the booking for a decade plus. Yeah, I think they're, they're trying to use established acts or established legacies to get new people over. I do think the thing with Fujita is very unique, though. Yeah, that's because obviously he's not like, quote-unquote, like copying Zach. I mean, Zach is teaching him. But I feel like it's this, you know, what we've been hearing about the accelerated um, young lion process. We've just, uh, to you know, they've never really had an established no gay dojo young lion join a faction and get mentored like that. So you know, it's pretty interesting. Yeah. Uh, next question here from Grunty Dodd. I came across Aaron Hanare's men's influencer focused social media this week and saw that he's an advocate. For the benefits of semen retention If he was to <laughs> issue A company wide abstinence Challenge with the KOPW On the line who would win And who would be out first Um Oh my god <laughs> Um 
So who would be out first if they couldn't nut? Um, probably Tuguchi. Yujiro? I don't think it's Yujiro. He's, I think it's Tokyo, Tokyo Pimp. Yeah, but that's a gimmick. Like, that's a name. But you know, like, he doesn't have, like, bro, he doesn't have Riz, bro. Like, come on. <laughs> it, it's either, for me, like, the, the two dudes who are, like, gonna for sure not abstain whatsoever. It's either gonna be Okan or Taguchi. Oh, definitely Okan. Yeah, yeah, dude. Yeah. Yeah, but, but Taguchi's a perv, bro. Like, he, that's true. You know, but, it's a tough one. But if you, um, you drop far- Okan in Vegas, it's all over. As far as um, people who would win, my money is on Tenzon. (laughs) (laughs) And I based it off this one point. I I didn't even read these questions ahead of time. But, like, remember that time when he was teaming with – God, what's that dude? Who's that dude who runs the pancakes? Oh, uh, Sammy Sammy Callahan. Yeah, Sammy Callahan. Yeah, remember when he teamed with Sammy? Or no, he he teamed against Sammy Callahan. Right, in, it was uh, Tenkoji versus Death Juice. Yeah, Death Juice. Yeah, and at the time, Sammy Callahan had a gimmick where he was kissing everybody on the lips, and like Tenzon was really into it, and not because like you know he's into dudes, but he was like, I never. He's like, my wife doesn't kiss me like at all. Like <laughs> he's like, this was really great. Like the human contact. <laughs> Yeah, wasn't he like you know? He's, he's like I really. He's like I liked it a lot. Didn't he say he wanted to like kiss Kojima or something like that, or like or was Kojima yeah, je- I jealous? Know. Like it, I forget. It was just really funny. <laughs> so I'm like, if this dude's not getting kissed, like there's no way he's. I think he can hold out, <laughs> especially with the title on the line. One last legacy run for good old Tenzo. Yeah, that KOPW. Yeah. Yeah. P P McShitter asked, "Are there any heel slash fail turn?" Face turns you want to see in New Japan within the next year? No, I mean I'm sure there are. I just I I appreciate the question, but I just uh, you know let them come as they may. I don't know. I'm not sitting here uh, fantasy booking. You you don't got a notebook out, you know, mapping out mapping out the year who you want to see turn. Uh, (laughs) I saw a question online on the New Japan Reddit was something like what would you need to book for the next monster title run? You know, something like I'm guessing Okada esque. And I was mm-hmm. like, I'm not answering this. I'm not engaging with this. Cause this is like, we're, we're all going to be wrong. And I have no idea. Like I'm not a booker. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Also, why is your name? PP make sure. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Hi. <laughs> uh, Okay, okay, 890 says, what went wrong with Shota versus Naito? Both guys have recently had great matches, but just didn't click with each other. Do they just have bad chemistry? Uh, I feel like we've discussed this match ad nauseum so many times. I don't know if I need to relitigate Shota versus Naito. Yeah, I think we've kind of already laid it out um, in previous episodes, and you know, I kind of mentioned that the match layout, um, the crowd dynamic, Naito's effort. Um, there's a lot of different reasons why that, that didn't work out. Uh, next question here from Hawaiian Punch BV it says, "With Ricky Ricky Reyes retiring, what was your favorite Black Tiger Mask moment from him? Do you think that it's weird that NJPW and AJPW both debuted a new Black Tiger Mask and went nowhere with them?" 
I think the new Black Tiger mask in all Japan was Rocky, was it not? Uh, wasn't I thought Rocky was wasn't he Black Tiger in New Japan? He was, and I think he was Black Tiger. I think they had a one-off Black Tiger that showed up in all Japan to face off against Tiger Mask when he was junior champion. I think it was Rocky Romero. Mm. I could be wrong, but I think that's the case. Uh, as far as Ricky Reyes retiring, what was my favorite Black Tiger Mask moment from him? Nothing. <laughs> you didn't like the the Rocky Romero feud? Bro, it never went to, it didn't, nothing happened, like, at all. The matches, no, I didn't like it at all. <laughs> Have you ever seen that video where uh, they're asking, uh, it's like a Memphis, uh, um, like, Q&A, and they're asking Macho Man, you know, they're like, what, or actually, he's at, he's at a news station, he's at some sort of talk show, and it's in Memphis, and they're like, you know, so how much of wrestling is real or how much of it is fake? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> like, nothing. <laughs> and then they're like, really? And he's like, zero. <laughs> that's that's how I feel about Ricky Reyes uh, as Black Tiger uh, during the New Japan Strong Years. Like, there was nothing about it that I liked. Yeah, it, it was pretty rough. <laughs> Uh, he said, uh, thoughts on Leon Edwards versus uh, Kamaru Usman 3. And also, did you also check out the fight between the two violence gods in Justin Gaethje and Rafael Fizy? Fizy. I don't know. I don't know how to pronounce it. Um, yeah, I saw that. Okay, so here's the deal. Um, I watched up to, I watched the first round and the first four minutes of the second round of the Gaethje uh, Bazaar fight. I don't know how to pronounce his name. I'd actually, I know that he's been working his way up the ranks. I'd actually never seen him uh, until that night. And he, he's, he's real, but uh, yeah, the, um, I need to catch both of those fights. I ended up needing, I went to the movies. <laughs> it's all a cocaine, cocaine bear, right? No, cocaine bear was mid bro. Um, <laughs> No, what did I watch? I, I saw something um, this past weekend. It was oh, I saw Inside with Willem Dafoe, and it was a uh, it was all right. I, I prefer Bo Burnham Inside <laughs> on Netflix, but uh, yeah. As far my my thoughts on Leon Edwards and Kamaru Usman, though, I didn't see the fight, but um, you know, I'd been telling people for a little while that I didn't know how much more Kamaru Usman really had because of all the the well-documented and known ailments that he, his body has been dealing with after all the, the years of hard wrestling. So I just knew it was kind of a matter of time. I don't want to take anything away from Leon Edwards whatsoever. I need to see the fight, but talking to friends of mine that are very big fight fans and very knowledgeable, it sounded like Leon Edwards was the better fighter and sort of had uh, Kamar Usman figured out. Did you see any of these fights, Jeremy? I didn't, but I, I heard um, Ryan Frederick, on observer talking to dave and brian about it let me let me make something very clear i think that dave Meltzer is a fucking idiot when it comes to mma <laughs> i i love him when it comes to wrestling one of my favorite guys i listen to him all the time but bro when i hear him start talking about mma i just want to pull my hair out because i think he is so unknowledgeable when it Brian Alvarez knows about fighting because he actually trains as a fighter. Right. But uh, 
I think Dave doesn't know shit. I think Dave thinks he knows, but Dave, Dave is like very connected because he used to be a writer for MMA and everything. And he's been following the sport for so many years, but he really, I mean, he just regurgitates popular talking points and that's it. Like he doesn't know shit. Oh my God. <laughs> like when I, when I hear him like discuss fighters, like Kamar, when, when I heard him discussing Kamar Usman and then how dismissive he was of Leon Edwards performance, I was like, God, this guy doesn't know. He doesn't know anything when it comes to fighting. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, I have a question here from Barry. Walk. Oh, coming in under the wire. Yeah. Uh, Barry Walk. Actually, I always forget to check my email. He he emails me questions. I, my bad, Barry. I, I, I always forget <laughs> to go back to my email and add his questions. And uh, he says, based on how I see the cup uh, going, it looks like we might see new faction Sonata versus Okada, new faction Finley versus Tama, Chosa Umino versus ZSJ, and Hernari versus Shingo. That's three new title feuds and another that hasn't been done in three years. For all knocking that Gato's booking is getting in some places, He's giving us new factions and feuds. Do you think some people get blinded by the glory days and bang the Naito, etc. drum when we are finally getting new angles? I'm wondering why we're getting so many questions about booking. Is there something going on in the communities where people are freaking out about Gato's booking? Uh, I mean, just some of the stuff I've seen. I think people are just kind of questioning, obviously, what Dave Finley getting pushed, what's happening with the Young Lions, what's happening with the L.A. Dojo guys, the the whole Kenny Osprey debacle. Uh, I think Gale's booking has kind of been in question, especially, you know, the fact that, you know, he hasn't been a winning booker of the year in a while, too, since TK's come around. I think oh, a, no, not the Wrestling Observer <laughs> Newsletter Awards. <laughs> I think there's a lot of things where people are kind of questioning, you know, what's going on, you know, during the whole pandemic, people were like, you know, new, you know what's going on with New Japan? Is New Japan come, coming back? So I think that's kind of where a lot of the discussion is coming from. Listen, I mean, here's the, the thing I would say. Do I think that what has gone on with this tournament would build new fans? You know, people, like, if they're just tuning in, they've never seen it before, do I think they're going to be converted and be, be, like, you know, believers off of it? Like, no, not necessarily. But if you're tuning in and you're watching this tournament, I don't know how you couldn't A, enjoy it, and B, be surprised by the outcomes that are happening. And for that reason alone, I, I mean, I don't know why anyone would be sitting here like banging or rallying against Gato's booking. I mean, some of the things that you brought up, Jeremy, I think are very valid. But by and large, when it comes to this tour and this tournament, I think that this is one of the one of the most enjoyable New Japan Cups in many, many years. Yeah, it's probably one of the most intriguing ones. Like, there's so many cool things that we didn't even think were going to happen happened, and we're, we're seeing guys get elevated, new feuds, new factions, new pushes. The booking was way more creative than it's been probably since this show started. Pro- this has probably been the most surprising and most fresh New Japan Cup we've we've seen in in years. Yeah. And then even though on paper the wrestling matches didn't look like they're going to be that great, I think they over-delivered on that aspect. Like were there a bunch of match of the year contenders that you're going to fill up your notebook and and you know go go ring it from the rooftop that New Japan's back and and they're killing it like no. But none of these matches were bad. I mean I mean maybe one or two, but for for the most part, this was a really enjoyable 
easy to watch tournament and I found it highly enjoyable and it wasn't anything where I was like, damn, I wasted my time. Like I've thoroughly enjoyed the story and they've combined great wrestling with good storytelling. I don't, I don't know what the deal is. Yeah. I've really enjoyed tournament. I just think people, I don't know, just find something. Bro, fuck people. If they were really good, they'd have a show like keeping it strong style. (laughs) The uh, (laughs) longest running weekly episodic new Japan pro wrestling podcast on the internet today. Uh, Yeah. I I had someone reach out to me recently and they were like, telling me about what was going on in the community. And I was like, bro, like, you know, they were like talking about like the, the pro elitists. And I was like, we don't really fuck with the pro elitists. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And then, and then I was like, but you know, we don't really fuck with like the casual Western audience fans that just want to book, you know, AW dream matches. And that's all they care about either. I was like, we don't really fuck with anybody. We just kind of watch the show, do our own thing, show up here, talk shit, turn off the computer and deal with none of the consequences of any of the terrible things that we said. And then we just show up again the next week like nothing ever happened. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, let's uh, move on to uh, close show out here of recommended match of the week. So we were on hold from last week. So the last recommendations we had um, for the excursion match of the week, you recommended to me. Zack Sabre Jr. versus Blake Christian from the ROH uh, TV tapings where Zack defended the NJPW World TV title against Blake Christian. Uh, So check this match out. It's my first time watching the rebooted Ring of Honor. Um, Very, um, you know, NXT 2014-2015 feel, which I know NXT was pretty much copying you know, Ring of Honor back in the day. So kind of that kind of small-time indie vibe, but modern graphics, modern stage, modern lights, uh, kind of a cool-looking vibe. Um, And I thought the match was uh, very good. The crowd was kind of interesting. It didn't seem like this was a super smarky crowd because there wasn't the big, you know, go Zack Sabre Jr. chants. They they seemed to know Blake Christian a little bit more than than they knew ZSJ. Um, but overall, I thought it was a really good match. Um, kind of story of the match was, you know, Zach was the, you know, the technical wizard here, the Techers, and he was kind of out wrestling Blake Christian for majority of the match. It was a, a great spot that popped me where Blake goes for the Fosbury flop uh, to the outside and Sabre catches him in a cravat. I was like, that is the, the most anti-Rich Letter pro wrestling spot I've ever <laughs> seen in my life. I was dying laughing. But yeah, majority of the match, like Zach was cutting off Blake, getting him in holes, getting him submissions. He's doing some really nasty uh, submissions to, to Blake Christian. Uh, but then, you know, Blake did get to uh, change the fire back. He did get to hit the Fosbury flop eventually, hit a, hit a Spanish fly. He was, you know, doing these high-flying offense coming back. Uh, but towards the end of the match, uh, Zach caught him in, in a submission hole, middle of the ring, uh, tied him up, kind of like a triangle kind of like maneuver, had no choice but to, to tap out. And it's kind of one of those matches where, you know, Zach kind of eats up the, the younger non-technical guy, did it in like a little bit over 10 minutes. Uh, and it looked really good. Uh, really enjoyed this match. I don't think this will end up being a excursion match of the year contender but it was a a really good match to check out and fun to watch what would you rate this match i'd probably go i don't know three and a half three point seven five 
somewhere in that range. Okay, nice. So, uh, Jeremy, you recommended to me Tomohiro Ishii versus Tetsuya Naito from Invasion Attack 2014. Um, and one thing I, I took a look at here, so, you know, I don't think I've watched any of the Naito Ishii matches from that year. In fact, like my first introduction to that, that feud was like in 2016 when, um, uh, Naito had won the world title and was defending it against chaos and, and, you know, defended the title against uh, Ishii and everything like that. So these earlier matches, I hadn't seen them, but this was really incredible. And what's interesting about it is this was the third match that year in a trilogy of matches between the two of them. They had wrestled at New Beginning back in February where Naito came into the, the match as the champion and dropped the the Never title to Ishii. And I think this is coming right off of uh, failing to win the IWGP title back in January of that year versus Okada. Because I remember he went into that match as Never champion. So I think he loses to Okada, turns around the next month, drops the title to stablemate Ishii, then in March, they have a return match at the New Japan Cup. Naito picks up the win, qualifies for a rematch. So they, they do the rematch in early April. And um, apparently the first match they had in February is even better than this one. So I, I definitely want to check that out. But this match was so fantastic. I mean, um, did, have you, did you see it? Yeah, it, it was oh, awesome. Okay. Like, because I was like, damn, like, bro, every single time I see young Naito, I just forget how athletically gifted this guy was and how he used to move and all the high flying and high octane, you know, action and the way he used to bump. Like, there's a reason Naito is such a star. And if you watch him today and you weren't like familiar with his earlier work, you might be confused and you might not remember, but like this dude paid the price. And, like, him and Ishii went out there, and they had a battle, like, a, a literal fucking war. And it, this match is, like, short, but also kind of long for the style they're working, that that never-style, uh, you know, sprint pace. They go almost 18 minutes, which is a short in, in the grand scheme of, like, uh, New Japan house style, but it, it's not, uh, you know, overly long. It's not short by other standards. So, um, but they... They did some really crazy stuff. I mean, Naito is bumping on his neck and his head so much Dude, throughout so this match. Much, yeah. And then um, him and Ishii were really, really stiff, especially Ishii, like with his uh, all these various different headbutt maneuvers, some that he doesn't even still do today. And like, it was weird just watching him. I mean, this is almost 10 years ago. It doesn't feel like it, but it's almost <laughs> a decade ago. Yeah. And like him and Ishii and Red Shoes all look so much younger. <laughs> Um, but yeah, they, they went to war. They had a really, really awesome match. The tail end stretch is classic New Japan style, you know, back and forth reversals, like crazy finishing sequences. But um, ultimately, like Ishii just starts getting the upper hand, starts hitting all sorts of big, uh, you know, power moves on Naito. At one point, hits him with a. Uh, Last ride power bomb for a great near fall. Big Enziguri's huge lariats, and um, 
you know, he just like Naito just keeps kicking out, but like you, you just get the feeling as time is moving on and he's not getting the comeback that you're like, damn, he's about to go away. And then like eventually he goes up and you're like, Oh shit. Ah, hits him with the, uh, brain buster one, two, three. And like Ishii defeats this man definitively in their first major feud. The, the right guy went over from the, <laughs> in this match. <laughs> But um, it's rated 8.58 on a cage match, which is a really great rating. Uh, Dave Meltzer went four and a half at the time, and I really love this match. I'd probably go about four and a half as well. And it, um, the other match that they have from February is actually the highest rated match they've ever had, including several of those really great matches they had like in the G1 back in like 2017, 2018. Mm-hmm. This is rated higher than that. 9.28. Dave went four and three quarters. I need to see that match. Yeah, we'll, we'll throw it on the docket for a recommended match of the week coming up. But uh, what do you oh. got? So you got uh, the recommended match of the week this week. Yeah, so this week for the recommended match of the week, what I wanted to do was give you something from a New Japan Cup Finals that isn't necessarily a New Japan Cup Finals. So um, I took a look back, and this week for you, I have a quarterfinals match between Tetsuya Naito and Kota Ibushi from the New Japan Cup on March 15th, 2015. Nice. You can't go wrong with a Naito-Ibushi matchup. Yeah, the, you know, watching that match just made me a little bit nostalgic for a good Naito match, and then I, I started thinking about him and Ibushi, and I was like, let's run one of these back. And, uh, yeah, we've actually re- reviewed the finals between from this card between Goto and Ibushi before. Mm-hmm. But this match is on the same evening, and it's even better. Nice. Then for the excursion match of the week, we'll go to Impact Wrestling from their No Surrender pay-per-view that happened February 24th with a Time Machine, which was Chris Sabin, Alex Shelley, and Kushida versus the Bullet Club of Kenta, Ace Austin, and Chris Bay. And that match nice. is on uh, New Japan World under the Impact section. So you can check that out there. And I heard this match was really good. I'll, I'll definitely check it out, Jeremy. Dominic Mysterio beat Johnny Gargano clean tonight. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, man. Wow. <laughs> Talking about booking malpractice. <laughs> oh, man. Yikes. Well, oh man, what a show! Yeah, what a show. <laughs> well, let's wrap things up here. Uh, next week, we'll be back to review the finals of the New Japan Cup and start looking towards Sakura Genesis. If you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation by visiting slash donate and click on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong style logo. Make sure to connect with us on social media. On Twitter, the show is at KI Strong Style. You can follow the network at Social Suplex. You can follow me at Jeremy L. Donovan on Facebook. We are Facebook.com slash Social Suplex on Instagram at Social Suplex on Reddit. I am the pro black guy. Josh is keeping a strong style. You can email me, Jeremy at Social Suplex.com. Check out all the other shows that we have here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. One Nation Radio hosted by Rich Latta and James Boy. The Grave Consequences hosted by Caleb and Maserati. 
All Things Elite, hosted by Floyd and Austin. The AW Match Guide podcast, hosted by Sir Sam. And the Great Match Generator, hosted by Danny. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review. And we will catch you next week on Keeping a Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. It's your Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time.